Hello and welcome to WGDC Radio, the official podcast of entertainment website We Got This Covered. I'm Jonathan Lack. And I'm Sean Chapman. And we are here to continue talking about Persona 4, the JRPG sensation. That Seems like it was just a couple of minutes ago that we were talking about this. Yes. So if you've been listening, this is part two of our Persona podcast discussion. If somehow you missed part one, uh, that, that was episode 35, you are listening to episode 36 of the podcast. Go back to episode 35. We are putting all these episodes out in one day, Monday, March 4th. You can listen to all of these podcasts about Persona 4. We didn't want to, you know, talk about it for weeks on end. We know we have some listeners who have absolutely no interest in this, even though you should, because it's yeah. a really good game. So, if you missed part one of this discussion, go back, listen to episode 35, hear all about, we talked about the story of Persona 4, and we talked about a lot of the characters, and we talked about some uh, general overview stuff at the beginning. We're going to finish talking about the characters on this episode, we're going to move on to some gameplay mechanics, music, possibly get out to a third episode, we'll see, we don't know yet because we haven't recorded it. Yes. Well, obviously, because yeah. we're talking about it right now. Yes. So, let's move on, Sean. We were just finished, we just finished talking about the investigation team characters. Yes. So let's continue where we left off. Now we've got to talk about all the other social link characters who are not on your investigation team but are still very important. Who do you think is the next one we should go to? Uh, I think let's just keep with the other characters that are still like really integral to the story. Uh, yeah. Let's go with who... Let's do Dojima and Nanako. I think that pair... We're about to get very sad. Uh, yeah, let's... Let's talk about Dojima first, and then let's go okay. to Nanako. Yeah, all right. I'll to talk about Nanako. So, Ryotaro Dojima. Yes, Ryotaro. Ryotaro, that's what I meant. All right, Ryotaro Dojima, he is your uncle. When you move to Inaba, he is who you live with, because, you know, your parents abandoned you or something. They went yeah. off. Yeah, he doesn't have parents, so just ignore it. Just ignore yeah. the parents. Yeah. They're not important. You're a transfer student, goddammit. Yeah. So, you live in Dojima's house. Dojima's a detective. How would you describe Dojima? Uh, I think he's sort of, I mean, he very much is sort of that, you know, he's a hard-boiled detective, he's sort of like the biggest sort of psychological thing that he's got going on is that, you know, his wife died in a uh, traffic accident, actually, I think it was a hit and run, and so he's been raising Nanako by himself for a couple of years by the time you move in, and obviously he's also a detective, so he's sort of, you know, his job is really important, he's really dedicated to his job, the fact that his wife was killed by, in a hit-and-run crime, but they couldn't find the guy, sort of really tears him apart, and so a lot of your the stuff you deal with Dojima is the fact that he's just kind of never home, because he's always, he has, you know, as soon as you move into town, the crazy murder cases start happening, so he's on the job all the fucking time, so... You almost never see Dojima for the most of the game. Like he's he's out, you know, doing his job and completely neglecting his poor daughter, who just sits there watching the TV all the time. But and you, this is this is sort of the key irony of his character is that he's a very caring man. I think he's a yeah, very yeah definitely. He's a very loving man. He's a very thoughtful person, but he just doesn't know how to express himself. It's actually a very basic issue for a lot of characters in Persona yeah. Four. Is this sort of gap between? I think who they want to be and who they are deep down and what reality, where they are in the real world. And with Dojima, it's that he does obviously want to be a good father to Nanako. He wants to be a good uncle to uh, Narukami. Yeah. But he just has trouble doing all that because he has he's kind of serving a lot of masters in his life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about Dojima's social link, I guess, because it's one that you can only do at night. Yeah. It's sort of just a natural extension of what's going on in the story. It's different than a lot of the other social links with the investigation team where it's following up on something else. Yeah. This is running parallel to the story. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm just curious, how far did you get into Dojima's social link in your game? 
four or five. Okay, so not so you didn't really get into the meat of the stuff. I don't think so. I actually am interested to hear what what the meat there is. So yeah, so with Dojima, I mean, the biggest thing is that you you have to sort of help him reconcile the fact that he can't spend all of his time sort of obsessively pursuing the the guy who killed his wife, Chisato. Like, okay. that's, that's, like, what you help him come to realize at the end is that he's, like, what's most important that he needs to do is stick with the family he has right now, which is Nanako, and not neglect him, or not neglect her all the time like he's yeah. been doing throughout the course of the story. And that's that's a very satisfying story arc to go through because you also, you know, you it's sort of that very male bonding kind of thing where you and Dojima both come to have this, like, really strong sense of mutual respect by the end, where as you feel, as you learn about what Dojima's going through, you get this sense of, like, that he is this really good guy, but he just doesn't know how to how to deal with all the issues in his life right now. And so, like, yeah. helping him sort out with, the, with his grief and sort of help him get his priorities straight is a really satisfying experience. Yeah. So Dojima, obviously, you know, is very crucial to the plot, especially as the game moves along. Once uh, Nanako is kidnapped, he's very critical to everything that happens in the game from that to the end, pretty much. Um, you know, he gets in a car wreck, looks going after her killer, yeah. or, her, or her kidnapper, and, and you know he's in the hospital for a long time. So there's this whole part of the game where no one's home, that's playing this fucking sad song. Yeah. 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 That, that part of the game is really depressing yeah. when everybody's just in the hospital, yeah. and you're like, oh, I guess... I guess I'll go to school. I don't know. I don't really want to go to school. I think one of the most interesting things about Dojima is his relationship with Narukami. Yeah. Where he's very worried about this kid. For good reasons. Yeah, yeah. Like, we talked about this a little bit on the last episode. But, yeah, he, uh... You know, he's he's a cop. And so, yeah. obviously... You know, obviously something is going on with Narukami. Like, it's like anyone can figure that out. But definitely the dude you're living with who also happens to be, like, one of the primary detectives on the police force... He's going to figure out that something's going on, and I like Dojima wants to sort of give you your privacy. Like, he knows you're a teenager, you're probably doing some dumb shit. He has no idea the scale of the dumb shit you are doing is, but, like, he, he wants to give you some leeway, but then he also sort of can't turn off that detective side of him, so you have a lot of nice little back and forth where he'll start kind of kind of interrogating you, and then Nanako will kind of stop him, and he realizes that it's like he's pushing a bit too hard. Yeah. Until eventually, when he realizes that stuff is getting really serious, when you get this threatening uh, letter in the mail, and then that's when he brings you into the police station, and he's like, and, you, and and part of you wants to feel like you know have the very teenagery response of like, you know, man, you're like suffocating me, dude. Like you're not my real dad, kind of thing. But uh. But, like, you do get the sense that Dojima just really cares about you a lot, and he's just trying to help you, and that's yeah. what it is. And I like how the, the, the game definitely is able to get that across really well, where a lot of times a lot of stuff is not able to. Uh-huh. Very well. I And I also love that Dojima gives you a lot of money if you do well on tests, yeah. and that, that has to, like, go into his suspicions, right? That he's giving yeah. you all this fucking money, and yeah, you always you, need more. Yeah, if you get, like, the top grade on a test, he'll give you, like, 20,000 yen, which is more than $200. Uh-huh. Just, like... If my parents did that, I'd be... That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, I would totally get really good grades on tests if I just got <laughs> fucking 200 bucks out of nowhere. You know? That's... That, 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 that's, that would be appreciated. That's, well, maybe that's his strategy. <laughs> Instead, you know, he, like, for me, I just, for the entire game, I just have to assume that, that Dojima just thinks that Narukami's doing drugs. Yeah. Like, that is the most likely explanation, that he's doing drugs, and that when he does do drugs, sometimes he gets into fights, and yeah. that's why he comes home 
like all beat up and stuff, and that's why he's taking a bunch of jobs and is getting all this money, but the money just goes nowhere. It's just yeah. gone. But in actuality, he's buying like katanas and shit. And that's the true, true ending, is that's what this all was. Narukami's drug fantasies were the game. How great would that be? Yeah. It's like, you know, all the... All the other people on the investigation team were all just other people that eventually started just like becoming part of your like druggy group. You're all like, and you wake up like after you beat Izanami, you wake up in this rehab center, and like Yosuke's next to you, and he's just covered in scars and like needle marks, and he's just like shaking. And Kanji's like over in the corner, like trying like banging on the door, like let me out, I need my coke. It's like Yukiko is just like stick thin because she just hasn't been keep taking care of herself. (laughs) Having really. Risei and Chie are out on the mean streets. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Dojima just eventually just gives up on you because it's like, I can't I can't deal with this kid anymore. Yeah. Luckily, that's not what the game is about. That, that no, does no. not happen at the end. All right, well, we can transition this very easily into talking about Nanako, yeah. his daughter, because obviously they're very tied together. Yeah. And Nanako is possibly the saddest character in the history of human fiction. God, not She's at least in the running, right? Yeah. I, I mean, she is for me. That's without a doubt. That fucking... That poor hey, little big, girl. Hey, big bro. Yeah, so Nanako is your cousin, but, like, she effectively is your little sister because you've lived together for an entire year. You get... You get really close to her because, again, like, Dojima is never fucking home. And so she is always sitting in front of the TV watching some dumb quiz show or some, like, Super Sentai outrageous bullshit. And when we say always, I want you, the listener, to understand that always we are not exaggerating. Yeah. This is not, we're saying, like, oh, she does it a lot. It's every fucking day. You come home. She says something really, like, depressing, like, I did all the laundry because Dad's not here, or I made lunch because Dad's not here, or I went grocery shopping because my dad's never here, (laughs) and then she's like, goes back to watching her show. Yeah. And on some nights, you can hang out with her, but on most nights, she's just so wrapped up in this terrible lifestyle she's leading that she, that's all she wants is to sit and watch her quiz show. Yeah, and it's... It's just so depressing because after a certain point in the story, it's when uh, like you, it gets revealed that her mom was killed, and that's that's sort of like in that whole sequence, she starts calling you big bro, uh-huh. which is also that's a very Japanese thing in, Jap- in Japan. It would be Nissan. It's like sort of like that's what she just calls you always, yeah. and so it's like past that point in the game, every every fucking time you come home, it is welcome home, big bro, every fucking time, and so. It's just, it breaks your fucking heart, because yeah. just, you see, because she is, you know, she she's obviously really sort of, like, lonely and sad inside, but she, like, puts on this face to sort of, like, for everybody else that, like, you know, she's, she's this very happy little girl that she's always out, like, she's also, like, this weird, it's always kind of weird with her character, that, like, pops up in random situations in other people's social links, just sort of... I guess she just wanders around town all the fucking time or something because she's just like, you know, you're just hanging out with Kanji. All of a sudden, Nanako shows up and you give her a little doll or something. But, yeah, yeah. Nanako. Nanako's pretty really much, depressing. Pretty much every... I mean, it was like, I remember when I started playing the game, I'm like, Sean, this character's so sad. And you're like, yeah, Jonathan, I know. And I'm like, do I, do I ever get to do anything for her? Like, she wants to go to Juness. Can't I just take her to Juness? And you're like, eventually, but it's gonna, you're going to go through some shit before that. Yeah. And, and then do. plus, like, the first time you go to Juness, it's like in one of her social link events, and you come back home. Yeah. Her dad gets really mad at her because you were out, and, and at you because you were out at, like, 9 o'clock going yeah. to, like, the fucking Walmart. Yeah. It's just like, God. God, and like, you know, her whole social link is 
sort of it's you know it's it's very similar to Dojima. It's it's her having to deal with the fact that Dojima's never home, and you have to sort of help her realize that Dojima does love her. That it's like yeah. he that Dojima is also like they're very interesting social links to sort of do as a pair because they're both sort of trying to you're trying to reconcile their relationship with each other and, and I, also how they feel about yeah. the fact that her mom and his wife is dead. Yeah, and I got much further in the Nanaka one than I got in the Dojima one. And it's a really good social link. Yeah. It's um, interestingly so enough, depressing. I know. Interestingly enough, you asked me like you were wondering when we were playing the game if um you know if there was any way like do, do the social links for them can you start doing them again after they come home in January and February and after all the shits happened yeah you can you can and that's so weird to me I did not do it because I'm like that would feel so wrong yeah. continuing those arcs even though after they're really that would feel wrong because they've gone through all this other shit they would be over that in some ways yeah yeah, yeah. I so. mean it, I think it's partially it's just because. In the original game, since you don't have those January and February months, yeah. Th- when Nanako and Dojima get into the hospital, obviously you can't social link with them anymore. So it's all of a sudden like a month out from the end of the game, those social links are just like yanked from you. Yeah. So in my original playthrough, I never finished uh, Nanako's social link because one hurts requires you to have a maxed out expression stat, yeah. which takes a while to get to. And then two, it's just like I didn't focus on it because I didn't realize all of a sudden it's like, oh fuck, I can't work on that one anymore. Yeah. Nanako's dead. For a little bit. Well, anyway, so let's let's talk about that. Nanako is just you're so you feel so bad for her. Sometimes you get to do some fun stuff, but you're thinking like even before all the sh- plot shit goes down, this is a very sad character. Yeah. And then they stab you in the heart yeah. by kidnapping Nanako and throwing her into the TV, and she creates the realm of heaven for herself. Yeah. And you have to go through that dungeon hearing the saddest fucking song in the game. Yeah. Heaven, which yeah. is like the the lyrics of that song. It's one of the songs that's all in English, and basically the song is all about. It's like like basically from Nanako's perspective, like how she's always sitting in front of the TV, how it's you know it's, she's always just sort of looking for the looking at the door, like hoping that somebody's going to come home. How she's just like that. The reason why she always sings the Juness jingle is because she's just depressed all the fucking time. It is the saddest thing yeah. I have ever encountered. <laughs> It's 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 too much. It's just goddamn. Yeah, and then even when you rescue her, then you have to do the whole thing where you go to the hospital and she's dying, and this game fucking kicks you in the nuts. And yeah. when I say kicks you in the nuts, I mean they like attach like a steel boot to their foot yeah. and like tie you down and kick you repeatedly because what happens is like you have this whole long scene where you're thinking like she's fading, something's bad's happening, and it cuts to black and you hear Beep, yeah. and then it fades back in, and she's dead. Yeah, for all you know, and it's she's fucking dead. And it's like, how? Why game? Like, why would you be that fucking sadistic? Yeah, and then like Dojima runs in yeah. right after she dies, and like collapses to his knees. You see, like it, it cuts outside. Everybody waiting in the, in the lobby. Everybody's crying. It's just like it is the saddest. Thing I have ever seen in anything ever. It is it is the most depressing thing I've ever encountered in my entire life. Is that fucking thing with Nanako? Because they build just the fact that that character says "Welcome home, big bro" every fucking day. You just get so attached to that. So then when that's cut away, when when she's in the hospital and like that doesn't happen anymore, like a different song starts playing. You just come home and you're alone and nobody's there. And then eventually she's in the hospital and she fucking dies. It's fucked up. It's very fucked up. It's super fucked up. 
And I actually think this is one of the most important things about the extra material in the Golden, is that you have January and half of February, and what's so great there is that you get to spend a happy month and a half with Nanako, basically. Yeah, because she, she does come back. Like, yeah. she does not stay dead. Yeah. And, and once you, those extra months that were not in the original, you do get to spend some time with a happy Nanako, throw this great welcome home party, all this other Make stuff. Do the snowman together. Yeah, yeah. You have your Kotatsu. Like yep. It's, it's really great to have, to finally kind of be rewarded for all your emotional investment in this character beyond beep. Yeah, because in the original game, it's like you get that, it's like she comes back, but she's still in the hospital, all the fog is around the city, you defeat Adachi, and then it just cuts to you leaving, so it's still super fucking depressing because now you're leaving her yeah, on yeah. top of everything else, right after she gets out of the fucking hospital, then her big bro leaves town. Yeah. This game's fucked up. Yeah. Seriously. So... Now, Nanako in battle uses an AK-47. <laughs> no, kidding. Nanako was the real killer. She was throwing everybody into TVs the whole time. And just like a bouncer, she would just like yeah. pick them up by like the trousers and the like collar and just chuck them. Every day is great at Juness, motherfucker. <laughs> I think she would just sing the song straight. Yeah. Anyway, so that's Dojima and Nanako. Anything more to say about them? I don't think so. All right. It's too fucking... It's too sad. I'm... I think it's like I think in like I could see some people looking at Nanako coming back as being a sort of cop out. It's it's sort of a very stark contrast to Persona Three, where characters die in Persona Three and characters do not come back in Persona Three. But I think for the, that would have been going too far. Yeah, for the tone of Persona Four, if Nanako had stayed dead, like you leaving at the end of that game would have been too sad. Been, a lot of stuff would have yeah. been too sad. I mean, what what emotional resolution would you get out of all this other stuff beyond? At a certain point, just I don't know, it would almost become too much about revenge. Yeah. It would be all the characters would be in such a dark place because whatever victory you would achieve would be so hollow. Yeah, and you know, and you can have that sort of cathartic, where after Nanako dies, you just go into Namatame's room because he's the dude who threw her in the TV and basically caused her to die, and you just fucking chuck his ass in and bye bye Namatame. That's what you sick fucking piece of shit. And that's what's so brilliant about that part of the game is that this choice where you can either get the bad ending or the good ending is predicated on your emotions from having just watched Nanako die. So it is perfectly reasonable for you to play that part of the game and not be level-headed enough like the characters. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, and it makes sense why a lot of those characters are have been pushed to the point where they're seriously considering... Murder. Yeah, and, and then plus, you know, it's... It's murder, but they're not, like, stabbing a dude to death. Yeah. They're throwing them in, him into a TV, and then, you know, a couple of weeks later, his body's going to show up. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not like they're all going to, like, violently beat him to death. But. Right. But, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a very, very well-done scene. Yeah. So, all right. So, that's the fucked-up part of the game. Let's, well, you want to talk about a happy character? Sure. Talk about Fox? Sure, we can talk about <laughs> Fox. Kitsune, my... My, you said Nato is your favorite character. Fox is my favorite character in Persona Four. Really? Yes. Okay. No, Funky <laughs> Student is okay. But like of the character, you can't socially with Funky Student, so it's got to be Fox. So who is Fox? Tell us all that. Fox is. I don't know. I don't know who or what the fuck is. What the fuck Fox is really? Basically, the, the Fox is when at a certain point in the game you end up visiting one of the, the shrine in Inaba. And if you don't know a lot about, you know, Japanese shrines, like, one of the things is there's, like, this big offertory box where you can throw in some yen and sort of give a prayer, and hopefully the deity of that shrine will either, like, grant your wish or whatever. And so, Fox is this fox living at this shrine, and 
For whatever reason, Fox wants you to start fulfilling these Emma, which are these little, like, sort of, like, wish plaques. They're, like, when you throw in the offertory thing, you you, you write up your wish on this plaque and sort of, like, hang it up. It's like, Fox wants you to fulfill this with these wishes on this plaque so that people start realizing that there's some, like, that the, the deity of the shrine is granting people's wishes so that they start throwing in more money. Don't know why Fox is such a greedy motherfucker. Because the other part of Fox is that... Fox also has access to these magical leaves that restore your SP, which is basically like your mana in the combat sections of the game. And so you want to progress Fox's social link because as you do that, Fox will will put a discount on the price for those leaves when you go into the TV world. And so Fox is this really weird... He's a great capitalist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Fox is this really weird way of sort of trying to find this... The way to get you to re- have this like method of recharging SP when you're in the dungeons, but it doesn't make any sense. Like of, of like of all the things in Persona, Fox is the weirdest, yes. and that that is saying something because Fox goes the least explained. Like Fox yeah. seems to be able to understand human speech. He hangs out with you. He's he's very docile. He'll follow yeah. you wherever you go. He'll go into the fucking TV with yeah. you. I want to see how they got him through Juness. Into the electronics department and into the TV. Like, did they put a leash on him and pretend he was a dog? No, Fox snuck the fuck in. Like, if okay. Fox wants to go into the TV, Fox is going to go in the goddamn TV. Nothing's going to stop Fox. That's true. I, yeah, I just like... And then Fox also has this great character design where Fox has, like, yeah. these scars, like, this, like, you know, supervillain scar across his eye, or her eye, that has this, like, bib with uh, hearts on it. Has, he looks badass. Yeah, yeah. And... And then eventually, when you max out Fox's social link, the, all the money that goes to the offertory box is used to uh, make the shrine, like, like basically covers the shrine in the Tori in gold. So it's like, and which is great because in Persona 4 the Golden, you can visit the shrine whenever you want. In normal Persona 4, it was only to social link with Fox. So when you get all the gold shit, you can never really go see it until the very end of the game. But it's like, but in Persona 4 the Golden, once you get all the, like, it's all pimped out, you can just go visit it whatever, whenever. It's like, everything's all gold. It's, yeah. It's, it's the Golden. <laughs> it's, yeah. But past that, like, Fox is, like, there's no real story around Fox. You just... Fox is a tool to have you like complete a bunch of quests, just walking around talking to people in the normal world, and then also this way of recovering SP in the TV world. And my favorite character, okay. Yip Yip. All right, so what psychological issues are, is Fox dealing with? Greed. Okay. Lots of greed. I love that he doesn't do anything meaningful with that money he gets. It's just cover it in gold, motherfucker. Yeah. Pimp it out! Yeah, when you get to the, the last day in the game where you walk around and talk to all the people you've maxed out your social links with, you find out that Fox started the family in the shrine and has, Aww. like, these three little baby foxes. This is also really great because, you know, the thing when every time you go to the shrine, it's like Fox is up on the roof of the building and, like, jumps down. It's, it's an awesome thing where it's like Fox jumps down and then it's like... Then you see all these like other like like these three baby foxes that look exactly like like just like scaled down versions of the normal fox model just like land right next to him. That's it's great. Pretty awesome. Fox is not a character I did much with in my first playthrough. He's definitely one I really want to do the social link of next time. But it's just as as you told everyone on the year end podcast and, and told me when I started playing the game, the kind of number one thing you have to do with Persona Four the first time you play it is be conscious that you can't do everything. Yeah, that you are restricted by time. Yeah. You're not. Unless you're amazing like me, you won't be able to do everything. 
Well, and and even that's something you had to know the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was you, your first playthrough. You couldn't possibly unless you're using a fact. Yeah, to max out all the social links. So I, I, I kind of I did like one or two Fox events, but I kind of left them by the wayside just because for like game progression, there were things that were more important for me to finish. Yeah. But on a new game plus, where I don't have to worry about some of those things, it would be very fun to do the Fox one. Yeah. So anyway, that's Fox. Uh, what other characters should we talk about? Uh, let's talk about Margaret and Igor. Let's, yes. Let's start talking about the Velvet Room stuff. because we Welcome to about the Velvet Room. Yeah. So, part of, like, sort of the mystical side of the Try game. Try explaining this. Okay. So, <laughs> you, at the very beginning of the game, uh, where you get your ability of the persona is this sort of mystical thing called the Velvet Room, and there are people living in the Velvet Room, and they like, you're, oh, they're the only one who really knows about it, you're the only one who can visit it. And it's like sort of the the master of the Velvet Room is this creepy little dude with a huge-ass nose called Igor. And he's the guy who allows you to fuse personas to then make other personas that you can use in combat. And that's sort of his function. And then he's also got this really fucking hot blonde chick with him named Margaret, who she's the one who rules over power, which basically means she has this big-ass book called the Persona Compendium, which has all of your personas in it. And you talk to her to pull out personas you've already made and, like, put them in your stock of personas so you can go use them in the dungeon. That's sort of of like mechanically how they function in the game but then also you can have a social link with margaret and that social link is a lot of fun because one it's one you can do it's it's the only one you can do that's not restricted by time in any way because what she has you fuse specific personas with like specific abilities so you have to sort of like help you master the persona fusion system and so as as long as you're high level enough to make the persona she wants, you can do her entire social link in one day. Also, granted, you have enough money to pull all the fucking personas out. Because, for whatever reason, Margaret needs a lot of cash, because she fucking charges you a lot of money to pull out personas. But so... Who knows? They, there's yeah. a lot of liquor in the Velvet Room. They've got yeah, a very yeah. good bar. I imagine, you know, Narukami learns about alcohol in the Velvet Room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's exposed to a lot of things in the Velvet Room yes. with Margaret. But it's fun just because as you go through making all the personas for Margaret, she, like her character, her and Igor are not particularly well defined. Like the game, this game like specifically does not make any bones about trying to explain what the fuck Igor and Margaret are. Like that stuff is explained in the earlier Persona games. They're like basically servants of the god that allowed, that gives you Persona powers. So like if you know the history of the Persona stuff, them being there makes a lot of sense. But if you don't, they're just kind of there. The Velvet Room's just there. Igor's just there. There's this hot chick named Margaret. We have no idea who these people are, why they exist, or anything about That's actually that. something I kind of love about the Velvet Room in Persona 4, is it's just, it's this part that just kind of, you accept. Yeah, it's, it's just there. And that Margaret, as you, as you fuse Personas for Margaret, you sort of start peeling back the layers of her character, and you find out, like, while she has this very sort of, like, proper attitude towards you, she, she actually has this really dumb sense of humor, and she makes a lot of really dumb jokes that are really funny. And, <laughs> All right. So. And then also, if you max out her social link, she, she kisses you on the last day, like she's standing outside Aww. the velvet room. Nice. And it's not an awe thing. It's like oh. more of an ooh thing. It's ah. kind of sexually charged <laughs> in a really kind of weird way because she's not human. She's been alive for like 2,000 years. She's yeah. created by Igor. That'd be really weird. Do you bring? Does she bring you back to the velvet room and have Igor like go sit in the corner while you two like? Igor, close your eyes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> As you wish. <laughs> anyway, um, so while we're talking about the velvet room, do you want to talk about Marie or do her later? Uh, let's do Marie later. Okay. So let's keep going. What's what are some other side characters to talk about? 
Okay, let's see. Um, let's see. Let, let's do the. Let's just like roll down the list of my uh, social links that I've got. Okay. Because it's be too hard to try to organize the characters by importance at this point. We can talk about all the school people now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. So first, we'll go with the clubs. So you can uh, at a certain point in the game, you can join both a sports club and a culture club. And for the sports club, you can either join the basketball team, where your social link is specifically with a guy named Ko, who nobody likes, yeah, nobody likes Ko. Or if you join the soccer club and you're smart like me, then you'd get a social link with Daisuke, who's a dude who always has a Band-Aid on his nose and is a pretty cool guy. Yeah, he's a fun dude. Yeah, but, the, but, but Ko and Daisuke are also friends, so they show up in each other's social links, but they are both distinct social links. And I did do Ko's in my original playthrough and Daisuke on this one, so I've seen both of them. Yeah. So I did Ko, but I didn't finish it because Ko's social link kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah. Ko is... He's... Like, Ko's thing is that he's part of the Ichijo family where he was adopted by this very, like, sort of well-to-do Japanese family with a lot of history, and he feels like there's all this pressure on him, even though his family isn't actually putting pressure on him. His family, like, loves him like they're just his son. And, like, basically, Ko is, like, has, like, dealing with all these issues that he's just made for himself in his own head, and it's really obvious that that's the case about, like, by the sixth social link with him. You're just like, come on, Ko. Fucking just sit down and talk to your parents. Like, that is literally... All that has to happen here is you just talk to your parents for, like, two fucking seconds, and you'll realize you're just being a fucking idiot. So, yeah, nobody nobody likes Ko. No. So don't, if you're playing for Zone 4, don't do the Ko social link. Just go for Daisuke. Yeah, Daisuke's a fun dude. Yeah. I mean, Daisuke's, Daisuke doesn't even have, like, a lot of issues. Like, his biggest issue is that he doesn't like hanging out with girls that much because he got dumped by his girlfriend in middle school. That's, like, it. All right, well, you know. that, you just kind of hang out with them. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. And, and, and I like the code and Daisuke social links just because I think they capture that sense of, like, you know, th- your friends on, like, a sports team thing. They do that really well, yeah. particularly with Daisuke. All right, so, but if you do a culture club, yes. then you have two options. You have yes. the drama club or the music club. We'll start with the music club because that's the one both of us are familiar with. And that's, Well, I did, I did the drama club in my first playthrough, so I've done both of them. I know, but I was saying... I'm not familiar okay. with, so both of us are not familiar with that one. Okay. Well, I was, I was also indicating that I am familiar with the other one. That's what we'll talk about it next. Okay. Fuck's sake, Sean. Fuck you. Fuck Just you. Just talk about INA, goddammit. Okay. INA... Your weird issues with INA. You're very... You're, you're not a very understanding boyfriend to, towards her. What do you mean? It's from, it's from what the conversations I've had with you... Okay, INA, INA is kind of an interesting character because she's got kind of a nice social link. It's pleasant. It's got some interesting things. But it's it would be good for three or four events. Stretching yeah, it out true. to ten, they have to stretch it the fuck out. She it has been... One in particular, I think it's her eighth or ninth one, is literally like two lines of dialogue. Yeah. And you're just like, you hang out with INA. Yeah. And INA basically it's just, she's a young girl, she's shy, and she is insecure about her trombone abilities and... Or trumpet. What, what does she play? Uh, I think it's trombone. Yeah, okay. Um, you, you play the trumpet, and then she plays the trombone. That's yeah. correct. So anyway. You also play the bass. Yeah. So anyway. So, so you know, you, you go to music club with her, and you just kind of encourage her, and then she's supposed to do this big performance, and because the guy, the other trombone player is sick, and she works really hard for it, but then he gets well again, and she doesn't get to do it, and then she decides she's going to go study abroad and learn music, and that's, that's basically her whole thing. Yeah. And it's just... My main thing with INA is she's a fairly dull character. There's just not a lot to her. But if you pick that 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 club, the music club, they yeah. kind of shove INA down your throat for a lot of the game. 
um, in just different areas. Well, they they do that with the other girl as well. Yeah. Like this, they do that with basically all the the school characters. Yeah. But as I hear that other character is more interesting, I I, I wouldn't necessarily say. I mean, I like INA a lot too. Okay. I mean, I think I think most of the non-main character social links tend to be a little bit stressed. I, stretched. I think yeah. INA is, is sort of the most extreme of that, where there are like one or two social link events that are just like nothings. But you know, I, I like INA okay. I like INA okay. Yeah, and I think it's. The one thing that's kind of weird is because, the, yes, she is technically a 15-year-old first year. She's one year younger than you. She looks, she's, the way she is drawn, she looks the same age, if not slightly younger than Nanako. And that's just a little creepy. And she's voiced to sound very, very, very young. She doesn't sound mature yeah. in the way Risei or Naoto or some of the other first-year girls do. Yeah, no, so. she, 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 sounds, she sounds like a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. So, you know, when you take her back to your room and fuck her at Christmas, you feel <laughs> like that's, you know... That's that's something wrong about that. She's she's she is one year younger than your character. You're you're you're, you're a really you're a really poor boyfriend towards Ina. I, I have feel, I feel bad for her. I have like seven other girlfriends. <laughs> I don't need I don't need her. But yeah, so that so that's Ina. The other one is a girl named uh, Yumi Ozawa. She's in the Actors Club, and hers is hers is really fucking depressing because basically hers is that when she was a little kid. Her dad just sort of, like, walked out on her family, like, didn't really say anything. He just sort of left. So she grew up most of her life really hating her father. And then all of a sudden, like, your third social link event or whatever, uh, her father is in the hospital with, like, some sort of terminal illness. And so her mother now is all of a sudden spending a lot of time with her dad in the hospital. And Yumi's now is, like, thrust in a situation where she has to reconcile her feelings where she grew up sort of hating her dad because her dad left her. But obviously she still loves her dad because... Fucking, he's her dad, and so it's like, and so basically, ninety percent of that entire social link is spent with you and her in the fucking like lobby of the hospital, and she's just crying. And so, like, it's 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 a more I suggest dramatically interesting social link than INA, but it's also sort of one that's also really exhausting because it takes a really long time. Like, it doesn't move anywhere. Like, like it like it gets to once you get to the third social link event, it sort of sets up that. And then it doesn't really move anywhere with that, other than just be like, this is so depressing, this is so depressing, this is so depressing, until, like, the very end where you're like, you're my girlfriend now. <laughs> this is a little bit less depressing. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, uh... Like, neither of the Cultural Club ones are, are really, like, sort of compelling social links, but they're both sort of fun. It's yeah. It's like, you could just, like, get to add a girl to your, like, line of fucking girlfriends you can develop. Your harem. Yeah. So, another girlfriend you can get at school, I think that's all the clubs, yeah. would be I Ebihara. She yes. winds up being the manager of your sports club. Yeah. But then, so that's kind of how you're introduced to her. But then you can do a social link with her. And she's sort of, she's, this is another character who is a very stereotypical Japanese anime character. This is yeah. one you see in just about everything, which is sort of the stuck-up um, Yeah, the Ojo Sama, the prince. Yeah. Yeah. And princess, I should say. But, but again, with Ebi Har, they do a really good job fleshing that out, and it's a really fun... I think it's a really good social link. Yeah, yeah, I, I like hers a lot, too. She's also one where if you want to romance that character, you have to tread some light water there. Yeah. It's, it's a little tricky. But yeah, like, basically, her, her whole social link actually develops in an interesting direction where it starts off with just you and her hanging uh-huh. out. And, uh, she's kind of using you. Yeah, yeah. She's just she's you're basically her pack mule while she's uh-huh. shopping. But you sort of develop a friendship, and she kind of comes to trust you. And then, like, and then the most interesting thing that happens at first is that she 
she confesses that she has a crush on whoever your sports team dude is. So in my yeah. case, it was Daisuke. And, and then that's where it can sort of branch off, where either you become friends with her if you decide to get into this, like, really casual relationship with her after, like, kind of Daisuke turns her down, or you can stay friends with her at first, and then she'll sort of come around to you by the end. And that's and that sort of branch is really interesting because that's another one where I actually ended up seeing both because this is one I uh, completed in my first playthrough as well. And that time I didn't go down the romance path. And that one's interesting when you don't romance her because it's actually really fucking depressing. Because what ends up coming about is that I does realize she has feelings for your character, but she's so insecure about herself at that point in sort of because she ends up sort of dumping you and then realizing she has feelings for you after your like really casual fling. That, like, then she, like, is so insecure that she feels like she can't be in a relationship with you anymore. Like, even though she's, like, realized she has feelings for you. And that's, like, it's actually like, the most dark and sort of depressing way to end one of those social links. Because it's not necessarily this really bright note. Like, you're in this... Yeah. You've, you've, you have sort of maneuvered yourselves in a position where you can't be together even though you want to be together kind of thing. That's so, weird. Yeah, it's really, really fucking sad. That's too bad. But I like Ebihara. I like. Yeah. I think actually this is one of those where I don't think her events feel stretched. I actually think every yeah. scene with her is really good. And yeah, after you know Ko or Daisuke turns her down, she has some really neat introspective scenes where she's. You see that she. I don't think she was ever unaware of who she is. Yeah. Yeah. But she's so sort of her repression is not unconscious or subconscious. It's very conscious repression, and it's it's really interesting character to uh, to to play with. Yeah. Let's definitely. See. So. All right, who else have we got from school? Anyone else? Uh, oh, we've got uh, Saki's brother, but did you even ever start that social link? Can I see what he looks like? I've never yeah. seen him. Yeah, all right. Well, you had to have seen him okay, because yeah, he, yeah. he's introduced through the story. But yeah, you've got Naoki Konishi. This, this, this is one you didn't do. Well, I won't dwell on it that long, but it's basically Saki was the girl that got murdered at the beginning of the game, and so he's her younger brother. This is actually this is a really good social link. It's one that takes a while to kick off, but it's you know it's kind of obvious. Like you help him come to terms with his grief over his sister dying. And it's just one... It, it, it deals with, like, the actual reality of, like, what it's like, you know, living, like, a few months after someone you really care about has passed away. It deals with that in a very, like, mature way. Yeah. And I, I, really, I, I really like it. It just takes... I don't know. It's just... Now he just doesn't seem like the kind of dude you just want to hang out with. Like, he's just... Yeah. Even yeah. looking at him now... He looks know. like kind of a douche. Yeah, yeah, he's and he is kind of a douche, but yeah, that one. He's that, going through some shit though. Yeah, so there's Konishi exists. I feel like he is the one. Like I don't think almost anyone ever does that social link. Like it's just I like, don't even know. I don't have any idea how you even trigger it. Um, like about a couple of months into the game, you end up in like the health club. Yeah, like yeah. Moroka forces you to be there, and that's where he's introduced. And then after that, you have to talk to him about three times. He's in the first floor of the education building, like, standing by a window, and you have to talk to him, like, three times before the social link actually triggers. Yeah, it's not the easiest one to start. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah that one's kind of a pain in the ass, because you have to waste three days on it before you actually get the social link started. Yeah. All right, so, uh, that's everyone at school, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do we want to talk about Funky Student? Uh, we'll talk about, we'll talk about the miscellaneous characters later. I'm just joking, all we'll, right. We'll do the whole section on Funky Student. What other social links have we got? Uh, let's, let's do the old lady. Let's do Hisano. Okay, Hisano is, I think, one of my four or five favorite social links in the game. Yeah, I really like hers. It is incredibly well written. That's the main thing, is that it's... Her events tend to be very short and to the point, and they're not voiced, but the dialogue is just incredibly well written. 
And, yeah. and I have to think whoever wrote it in its Japanese originally did a great job, but then the translating is fantastic. And it's, I don't know, just this idea of, of someone who has lost, but at a very old age, not a young age, yeah. and, is, and lost someone who was there for her entire life, and is, you know, it's just, it's, and it's not someone you have any sort of direct connection to, it's just this old lady you meet at the hospital. Yeah. And, but she's really interesting, and I think her seventh social link event, which is the last one I was able to do, you bring her some letters from her her dead husband that you found at the uh, Didera shop, the yeah. antique store. And it just triggers this sort of flood of memory. She, she keeps saying throughout the social link that she is deaf, and when yeah. you finally realize what she means by that, it's a, it's a really powerful scene. Yeah. And it's probably, to me, it's the most powerful non-voiced scene in the game. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, this is one that I did not do the social link in my original playthrough, because it's one in the game you can only do it on Sundays, and uh -huh. I never just really bothered with it. But yeah, it's definitely when you come to realize, you know, her uh, husband had Alzheimer's, so like as he was passing away, like he had lost most of his memories of her and their time together, and like her sort of like talking you through her frustration at that uh, yeah. it's yeah it was a, it's it's a really affecting social link yeah, it's a very and it's a very honest one it's a very authentic one i you know i uh, my grandfather had alzheimer's so i watched him go through that so i, I don't know i have a connection to that but it's very it's a very good social link yeah yeah definitely so let's 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 start doing the uh, the job social links okay let's, let's do young mother how how far did you get with uh, the young mother social link pretty far it's 5 6 7 Okay, yeah, so where she's getting really frustrated. Did you get to the point where she has like that one where she starts talking to you about how she like was watching some like basically like a really creepy self help video where it's like we're kind of like completely deluding yourself. No, I did not no. see that one. It's uh, yeah, the young mother social link is basically I talked about on this about this one on the uh, year in podcast. This is one of my favorite ones because it's. You basically, as you're working at this daycare, you you sort of befriend the the mother of one of the. Uh, kids there, Yuta, and Ari, the mom, she's she's uh, his stepmother, and she's just become his stepmother in, like, the past couple of months, and when she moved to Inaba with her husband in Yuta, her husband, like, went, I think he's in, like, China or something on yeah. some job, like, right away. So all of a sudden, she is thrust into this situation where she has no idea, she knows nobody in this town, she, she's been, like, ripped away from her past life, she's just started this new life, but, like, the key component of that new life, like, the man she loves, is suddenly gone and stuck her with this kid who she just met, like, yeah. a couple of months ago. And so she has, like, nothing in her life. And it's... One of the things I find most interesting about it is just that, like... One, in this situation, normally you would be taking, I feel, the kid's perspective on this and, like, dealing with, like, the kid has to, like, deal with this, like, evil stepmom and his, yeah. his dad is never at home kind of thing. I've never seen it from the other side. Yeah, but this, yeah, you watch it from the stepmom's point of view where she has to live with this kid where she doesn't know the kid. She's supposed to act like a mother towards him. And it's, like, it's, like, the most awkward, depressing situation. It's just... It's just, to me, like, for me, like, that situation just seems so completely terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to fathom. It's one of the saddest things in the game. And what I think is great is they really don't pull any punches in depicting it. It's like, they don't dumb it down, and they really show what this character is going through. Yeah, yeah. like I said, like, there's this point about halfway through where she, you have this conversation with her where it's like, it's actually kind of, it's really creepy because she starts talking about how she's been turning to all this stuff about how, like, if you just, like, believe in something, it'll come true and kind of stuff. And that's, like, it's like th this 
very what I view as this very sort of like self delusional form of self help books or like yeah. seminars and that kind of thing, like the secret in America. Yeah, that she like sort of like latches onto that and sort of like wants that to sort of make her life perfect when it's like that's not going to help no. you at all. And it's yeah, and and it's and it's really it's one of the most satisfying social links to finish because it's like by the end of it you help these two people come together and sort of you know to help them love each other by the end it's like a mother and a son. Yeah, and that's. That is really fucking satisfying when that happens yeah. because going through that social link is really it's kind of depressing. Yeah, this is one I was really sad I couldn't finish. It's just one where it's the, the way it's timed, you know, you can do it three days out of the week, but, you know, like the other social links, you can't. It's not that every time you go yeah. in advances, you have to, like, do extra times with her. And it's just, you. I almost, I always found myself doing other stuff or forgetting it was there. And I feel a little bad about that. Yeah. But it's definitely one of the reasons I want to do a new game plus sometime so I can finish that social link. Yeah, yeah. I really like the Young Mother one. Uh, the next the next job <laughs> one is Psycho, the nurse social link. The pedophile? <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah, so so at one point in the game you can start working at a hospital. That's where you meet Hisano, the old lady social link. And working at that hospital is this woman named Psycho who is a very, very flirtatious woman. Yes, uh, let's put it that way. Yeah, you're, you know, you are this 16-year-old boy working at the hospital, just basically, like, mopping it up as a janitor uh, at night, and she will just, like, to progress the social link, she'll just sort of, like, drag you into a hospital room, and there's one scene in particular that pretty strongly suggests that something kind of sexual went down. Like, yeah. she's very flirtatious with you for the first section of the social link, but there's one that's, like, really heavily implies that something happened that's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. But then she kind of goes crazy. Yeah. And yeah. then she realizes she wants to go help people in other ways and leaves. Yeah, I mean, basically what happens with her is that she's been using you, like flirting with you to sort of distract herself from thinking too hard about her job because she had this whole thing where she was in a relationship with a doctor in her past hospital who uh, was married, but she didn't realize that. And so, like, there's this whole scandal. She, like, had to lose her job. And after she lost her job, she at that hospital, she found out that one of the patients that she was really sort of friendly with at that hospital passed away, this, like, little kid. And she, like, that's kind of what sets her off as being really fucking crazy, is then she starts taking her job super fucking seriously in a way that's really not healthy for her. And so... It's a fun social link where you sort of have to help her come to terms with, like, you need to sort of get a handle, first of all, on... It's like, it's really great that you're a nurse, but being a nurse and then working yourself literally to death, not a great idea. Yeah. And then then you sort of help her realize she wants to go out and help people, and then eventually she uh, goes to Africa and helps uh, and becomes a nurse over there. Yeah. That's that's, cool. And then you actually... The ways you get to talk to her in different parts of the game after all that, like when you have to catch up with all your social link characters is you go hear about her from other characters yeah. it's kind of cool yeah yeah I, I, I like Sayako a lot she's yeah. I, I find like her character very interesting because it moves it starts out as this like really kind of creepy flirtatious thing and then it very quickly moves into this very different direction that you wouldn't really expect yeah it's, it's a, a pretty easy one to finish because the hospital um, while there are parts where it's tough to progress hers you can just go work at the hospital and you get other stuff out of it courage, yeah, yeah, and, money courage and, and money yeah yeah and so then the other one, I don't even think, did you even do the tutor nope. job at all? Nope. Okay, there's another social link that's the, the other job one that you can work at night where you tutor this kid's shoe and... Eh. Punk. Yeah, I was, just kidding. He, he's basically, his thing is that he's really nerdy and he doesn't have any friends at school. Well, let's cry me a fucking river. 
Yeah, you've got, I'm kidding. Yeah, he's got the coolest fucking tutor in the world. Yeah. To fucking deal with it, dude. I'll teach you how to get eight different women's shoes. And there's actually, there's like this really weird scene where it's, it's either the nine or ten scene with shoe. I think it's the nine scene where it's his birthday, and uh, but like nobody is at home, like nobody's helping celebrate his birthday. So to help celebrate his birthday, you call all of your friends. So like all the so the investigation team shows up at his house, which is almost even more depressing. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just like now all of a sudden all these people he doesn't know is there celebrating his birthday because his tutor called them. Like that's I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, that's just to me that would make me even more depressed because it's like. All of a sudden, it's like, here are these eight people I don't know who all pity me because yeah. I don't have any friends kind of thing. That's it was a really weird it was a really weird social link event. But yeah, the, the shoe one is not dead. I don't, I don't care yeah. that much about him. But then now we get to move into the... Uh, the extra social yeah, links. Yeah, the, the two new social links that were introduced in the Golden, which I, I think are both very interesting. The Let's talk about the Adachi one first. Because yeah. the most significant one is, is the last one we'll do. Yeah, yeah, so... Adachi, as we said before, he is, he is for reals, he's the culprit. Yeah. Other than Izanami, who's for reals, he's for reals, he's the culprit. Yeah. He's the dude who killed the two women at the beginning of the game. And, but, you know, obviously you don't find that out until the end of the game. So he spends the first section of the game sort of popping in and out of the story, feeding you information, basically being a klutz, trying to sort of like help you along to catch Nabatame, but keep you out of figuring out that, oh, this Adachi dude, there's something fishy going, fishy going on with him. And so it's really interesting that they then introduce this Adachi social link exclusively for the Golden Edition because, you know, it's, yeah, it's the fucking killer. Like, you yeah. start the social link with the killer. And I was really perplexed at trying to figure out how they were going to do that before I actually played the Golden version. But it's really interesting because you can only, through normal social link events, bring his uh, social link up to level 6. And then past that point, it's just entirely through story events. But it's really interesting because in the original game, you don't spend that much time with Adachi in the sort of, like, really casual setting, I guess. And you also don't spend a lot of time with him sort of personally after he's sort of come out as being like, hey, I am a crazy motherfucker and I have killed two bitches, is basically how he puts it. And so for the first section of his social link, it's all you're hanging out with him. And I think it's really subtle what they do, where, like, what you figure out through it is that Adachi, the biggest thing that with Adachi is that he's just lonely. Like, he has, he has, it's almost kind of similar with the young mother thing where he moved to this town. He knows nobody in this town. He did not move to this town because he wanted to. He's just like, this is just where he could get a job as a detective, so he had to move here. And so he knows nobody in this town. He's really lonely. He feels like, because he is a really smart guy, he feels like he should be deserving of a higher position. And that's all stuff you do find out in the original game, but they sort of expand on it here. And one of the things I love that they do is that there's this old woman who you meet through his social link who calls him Toru, who, like, is very sort of, like, you know, very friendly with Adachi, spends a lot of time with him just because his uh, first name, Toru, is the same as that woman's uh, son's name. And so she's just sort of, like, is spending time with him. And I really like the the last uh, social link event you can do with him before it goes on to the sort of the story path where you it reveals that he's the, the killer and everything is basically that woman walks out of the Juness elevator, uh, Adachi sort of, like, puts on this act of, like, oh, no, she's here, like, I'm going to, like, try to hide, like, I hope she doesn't come talk to me because this woman is so annoying, and then her actual son walks out, and they sort of talk together, and then, like, she walks up and, like, talks to Toru, like, starts talking, like, sort of bragging about her son to him, to Adachi, and then they walk out, 
And if they don't sort of like really throw it in your face that that really affects Adachi, that Adachi's really depressed that this woman isn't latched onto him anymore. But but that is clearly the case. Like yeah, they, yeah. they they keep it sort of in the background. Like nobody just tells you that. You can really tell that he's that that, that really affects him. And I think that's a really a, a really powerful moment to me, at least. And then what's some of the other stuff? Like once you start getting the story events, you can if you did the social link right, you can do some crazy shit with Adachi at the end of this yeah, game. Yeah, like for I think the biggest one is his uh, eighth one where. I think the one thing that, at least for me, knowing what I know about Persona, with having the Adachi social link really tips you off to the fact that he's a killer, that he's the killer, is that his uh, arcana for the social link is the Jester arcana, which is, uh, don't need to go that much into tarot stuff, but it's basically, it's another form of what is your arcana, the fool arcana, which is basically zero. And that represents the wild card abilities, which is what makes you so special. That's why he has he can use multiple personas and all that kind of stuff. And so having him have another arcana that is the zero arcana sort of indicates to me that he's one of the other motherfuckers that already has the ability to enter the TV at the beginning of the game. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But then they play with that where when you... After he comes out as the killer, you can go into the TV and confront him alone, personally. And during that event, which is a fucking amazing social link event he uh, reveals or like he sort of talks to you he taunts you he sort of like is telling you you know come get me i'm the killer this is what he's trying to do go get your friends come after me he fucking points a gun at you he shoots the gun and like it like you know there's this great shot where he shoots the gun and sort of like goes white and it like it zooms in on narakami's face and like hits the uh, window right next to him that kind of thing but then after that at the end of that social link when the the when your social link levels up, it transforms the arcana from the jester into the hunger arcana. And it's just, it's really, it, that's not anything that the Persona games have ever done before, where once the true nature of your relationship with this person is revealed, it's sort of like your, or your social link sort of becomes corrupted in a way. Then it's also really interesting because then when you get to the max social link with him and you can make the ultimate Persona, Magatsu Izanagi, which is his, which is Adachi's Persona, it, there's this really interesting sort of sense that you, that you can have these social links with people even if you're not friends with them or you're not amiable with them. That you can have this like sort of negative social link that you can still use. Yeah, I, I, I found that really interesting. Yeah, I did not. One of the reasons I definitely want to play a new game plus is to do the Adachi one because it's a very logistically tough social link to do. Yeah, he and shows up on. He does not have a schedule like the other characters do like he just shows up on random days and he also alternates on whether or not you can social link with him at during the day or at night yeah so that was a little weird and i just i did one or two but i really don't remember them um just because so much other stuff was going on in the game and i you know when you started i had no conception that he might be the killer yeah so i just i wasn't thinking much of it i was just like well adachi's kind of a fun guy but you know I, I definitely want to go through it again because I just want to get those last couple that you do once you find out he's the killer. That sounds yeah, really cool. Yeah, that's really fun. Yeah. So the final one we're going to talk about here, final you know major character social link, is Marie. And Marie is far and away the biggest addition to Persona 4 Golden yeah. because not only is she a major new character, not like Adachi's a new social link, but he was there always. Yeah. She's not just a new character with a new social link and a fairly substantial social link at yeah. that. She's also hugely important to the plot, and I think if you were, you know, if like me, you started with Golden, it's really tough to imagine the game without her. Yeah, yeah. So Marie is this girl, she lives in the Velvet Room, they just sit her right next to Igor. Yeah, stuff her in the corner. Yeah, 
and Marie, she's sort of very sort of depressed. She's very, you know, like uh, snarky. Yeah. And she says stuff like, stupid, I hate you, jerk face. Yeah. It's really, really funny. She's very endearing, though, in that way. But anyway, she has no memories. That's sort of her thing, is that she just kind of appeared here one day. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know where she came from. And her social link is you just trying to kind of help her, like, find her memories or yeah. or hang out with her, just try to get her to open up. And it is maybe the best social link in the game. I think it is. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I it's the best one. I think that is definitely sometimes it just comes down to personal preference. Like the Nauto one is super fun because you can do the detective work yeah. and stuff. But the Marine one is really, really good. It's just every event is fantastic. And once it takes the turn about midway through and you start trying to find her memories, it just, I don't know, it just reaches this level that I think is really intelligent where, you know, instead of her finding her memories or becoming really depressed about not getting her memories, her ninth level social link, which is probably the best social link event in the game, it's yeah. just a great scene. Is, is her realizing that she doesn't need to do either of those. She can just realize that a memory, she's already forging new ones. Yeah, that she, yeah, that she, like, that she can just live her life. She doesn't yeah. have to sort of be attached to who she used to be. I think that's, in, you know, this is this concept of a character without memory is not something Persona 4 invented, but that level of mature closure there is yeah. really unique. And yeah, and, and the way they execute on it is really clever as well. Yeah. Where that, like, that's one of the few sections of the game where I just, like, felt like they they had these dialogue options that were really, really smart, where yeah, you're yeah. sort of, you're, you're helping, you have a lot of dialogue options where you sort of can help Marie figure out what she's going through in a way that where you're not just telling her, you know, no, you're making memories right now, you're just, you know, it's, it's like, she'll like, she brings up something about the eating at the steak place, and you just say, oh, you remember that? And she's like, of course I remember that, you fucking eat it. Oh... Yeah. And I, there's there's a couple of moments like that in that social link event that I think are really really clever. Yeah, it's a really great scene. She's just a very very good character. Uh, th- another one of my favorite vocal performances in the game. That actress yeah. is fantastic, and she's just a really great character. All before you get into all the stuff in January and February where she becomes crucial to the plot. Yeah, where in, in, yeah in January she sort of disappears and you have no idea what the fuck happened to her. So you have. And this is only this only happens if you max out your social link with her too. Yeah. So so like if, after she disappears, you have Margaret goes off like trying to figure out hey what the fuck happened to Marie, and then eventually you find out oh she's in the TV world in this place called the Hollow Forest, which is basically the name for the TV world, and that she's like trapped herself in this dungeon, and you have to go in and go after her. And so that's one of the other more substantial additions of the game is that they put in this whole new dungeon, the, the Hollow Forest, right there for for Marie. And that whole section, I find, is really interesting because, you know, ignoring, like, the, the actual mechanics of the dungeon itself, once you get to the end and finding out, one, that Marie is contemplating suicide because, like, to try to save the world because, you know, she has been subsumed by the fog and that if she destroys herself, she'll destroy the fog as well. But then also, I think if you've, if you've chosen to develop a romantic relationship with Marie, I think that section is really, really affecting where, one, like, you have to fight Marie in order to save her. Yeah. And that's really... Smart because the the boss fight with Marie as just basically Marie before she transforms into a big monster, you kind of have to just keep on. She she puts she casts a spell where she will reflect anything that hits her, and you just basically just keep on attacking her, hurting yourself until she just relents because she just doesn't she she you know she loves you she doesn't want you to just see you hurting yourself over and over and over again trying to save her. Yeah. I think that's 
using the game mechanics of the, of the battle system in a really, really clever way to sort of deliver a story point. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, Marie is sort of like, if there's one canonical love interest in this game, in Golden, that's kind of who she yeah, is. Yeah, it's definitely Marie. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you had to pick one, it'd be her. Yeah. I mean, they even imply in the sort of epilogue scene that that's who Narukami is, is most in love with. And in many ways, that's actually who I would pick out of all the characters. I think that... Yeah, that's, at least from... It's just like looking at it from a story point of view, it would yeah. have to be Marie. yeah. So she's just a really great character, and the way she plays into all the stuff in January and February adds this really, I think, very critical connecting point between you know fighting Adachi and fighting Izanami. Yeah. And I, I, as I said before, I can't imagine playing the game without that middle connecting section there where she kind of smooths over a lot of plot stuff by just having her there and, and being present. Yeah, I definitely felt in the original game it is a pretty awkward transition where at the end of December you just cut to March. Yeah. They just skip through all of that stuff. Yeah, they definitely give you this, like, little bit of denouement where you just you can just hang out with people during January and, like, let you breathe a little bit in that sense, and that's... And, yeah, and Marie is definitely really crucial to that part of the game. Yeah. Then also, she, uh... When you find out what she is, I think it helps sort of illuminate a part of the game that did not make a whole lot of sense, which is Izanami herself is not... Mm-hmm. particularly well explained why Izanami is sort of crazy, like what exactly Izanami is, where she comes from, and having Marie be this other side of her, that sort of, of Izanami that sort of splits off, sort of the beneficent side, I guess you can think of her yeah. as. I think that helps. That that makes the ending of the game make a lot more sense than just having Izanami come the fuck out of nowhere. Having, right. having it be sort of set up through Marie really helps that ending make a lot more sense. It and, works and very, a lot very more well. Natural. Yeah. So... Alright, so that's Marie. Anything else to say about her? I really like her design. I think she's yeah. a very visually appealing character. Yeah, and I like she's, I like how it is, so like her and Naoto should have a blue hat party because yes. they both have those blue hats that they wear all the fucking time. Yeah. And then you realize that those characters are really fucking attractive when they don't have their hats on. Yeah. Alright, so those are all the characters in the game. We're going to talk just briefly about some of the side characters you meet okay, along yeah. the way. Yeah, so one of the things, one of the things I really like about the Persona games is you have all these other characters that are not, you know, like, you, you basically know they're a side character if they don't have a little, like, anime portrait thing that comes up when you talk to them. And you also know they're a side character when they don't have a name. And that's and I love these little characters that you can just run up and talk to who have different bits of dialogue, like, every week or two weeks in the game that just, like, you kind of become attached to their own really dumb little personal stories. Like, one of them is Funky Student, who I talked about before, who he, he is your senpai, he's a third-year student, and he's this the black kid on just like hangs out at the third floor. He's got this huge ass fucking afro. And then you go talk to him, and he will give you what he calls are riddles, or no way riddles, but like they're these little kind of I guess word puzzles in a yeah. sense that if you answer them, he'll give you stuff. And there's just something about the way there's just something about Funky Student that I love. I just well, love the way they write him is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. He where he. He's funny. Students, an articulate motherfucker. You know, yes. he's he is not just some th- sort of like thug or something like that. Dude knows what he's talking about. He's a smart dude. Yeah, but yeah, there's funky student. There's spacey girl. Spacey girl, who's this like little elementary school girl who you can just like encounter in the saw shopping district, who just says crazy shit all the time. Like, like you just ask spacey girl, what is it? spacey girl? What are you doing? I'm counting all the pebbles. Why are you doing that? Because if I don't do it, who will? <laughs> All right, spacey girl. 
see you in a couple of weeks when you say something else that's really crazy. There's the girl in your school standing outside the library. She's yeah. just in love with the kid in the library. Yeah, this is the girl who stands outside the library pining after her senpai, as I refer yes. to her. Yeah, I, I like her. Like her relationship with her senpai sort of develops over the course of just like going and talking to her. I, I, I yeah. like that character. There's Errand Boy who, by the end, Errand Boy and Spacey Girl become friends. I like I like that one. I like that too. There's like the old dude who's just like with a really crotchety old dude who's always stands outside the shrine. Like I just like all these random little people that you can talk to all the time and sort of see. It's like yo, I have no idea who the fuck you, I am never going to bother to learn your name, Spacey Girl. But I want to see what's going on with you for right yeah. now. It's pretty great. So, does that kind of wrap up our character discussion? Yeah, I think so. All right. A lot of characters to go through, but I I think we did well. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, we've been so far talking about Persona 4 just as as the story, as the characters, but this is a game. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a really, really fun game to play, and I don't know if we've conveyed exactly why this game is fun, because I think if you just listen to this podcast as we've talked about it so far without... Playing the game, a you would be completely confused. Yeah. But b you would think this is just you 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 boot up your Vita and you sit there and watch. Yeah. But that's not what Persona Four is at all. It's definitely a scene that is sto- a game that is story heavy, cutscene heavy, but it's, no, it it's always RPG. yeah. But it always feels interactive. Yeah. And so let's des- let's describe the basic gameplay breakdown. Okay. Let's, yeah. Let's see if we can do that because this is. Mechanically speaking, this game is immensely complex. There's, yeah. there's a lot of different systems going on. The most basic thing you should understand is that it is all predicated around this basic time management system where it's yeah. day-to-day, March-to-March uh, in this one year, 2012. Yeah. And you, you know, every day you have it split into multiple periods. You have the morning, the um, you know, uh, school, yeah, school, lunchtime, time, after school, school, evening. Yeah. And so, and in the original game, you could only do stuff in your house at the evening, but now there's all yeah. this other stuff out, and even you can go outside and do sort of in-between social links, all this other stuff, but yeah. sort of everything happens within that time, that frame of you have this time management system. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you are, you are, you are literally restricted by the game from doing everything, which is very different than how most games are designed. You yeah. Know, you know, if you play Mass Effect or Mass Effect 2, you will get to a certain point in the game where it's like, if I go one more story mission, I will finish this game. But if I don't have to do it, I can just sit here and do everything, all the side stuff in the game, this game right now if I wanted to. In Persona, you have to you have to sort of plan out how you're going to do it to a certain extent. I think part of the part of the trap of the game is that certain types of people would be compelled to try to plan out too much and sort of look too far ahead. That will kill you in this game. Like it's, that's just too much to try to keep in mind at once. But you have to be conscious of not wasting time. You want to, either, yeah, yeah. especially when you know how important each day is. You want to make each day as valuable as possible. And the sort of since I played Persona Four and Persona Three, by the time I got to the Golden, I was kind of weirdly obsessive about that. Where to the point where I finished without even deliberately attempting to. Like I did not set out to try to get all of my social links maxed out particularly because I didn't think it would really be possible on a first playthrough. I ended up doing it just because. Like, every fucking day was important. Everything has yeah. to be perfect. And and that's... the It's a really nice sort of risk and reward system of trying to figure out what you want to prioritize when you want to prioritize it to be able to get what you want when you want it. Yeah. And so you always have, you know, a dozen different things you could spend a day doing. You could go work at a job. You could work on any of, like, five or six different social links. You could go try to work up one of your social stats that then unlock access to other social links down the line. You know, like, you can study to get knowledge up and stuff like that. Or you can decide to go fish if you want to go fish. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's, it's that that part of the game is sort of like your day to day stuff is really compelling and serves as a nice way to sort of pace out the game and keep you always doing something new. Yeah. So now within that, there are sort of two halves to how you play the game, yeah. and that's. There's the TV world, which is where you run dungeons. Yeah, where you have the sort of traditional JRPG combat. Like if, yeah. like if you cut out the day-to-day stuff and all the social link stuff, that's what a normal JRPG would be for this game. If you just yeah. cut out those elements and you just have the combat. Yeah. But that's the combat side is very informed by the other day-to-day side, real-world side, because you have to save people and basically you have to run and finish each dungeon before multiple days of rain set in. And yeah, so you when always... The, when the fog comes in and when the fog comes in, someone's going to die. Yeah, so you, you have, have a time limit. Yep, you have an access to the weather forecast. You know what each day is going to bring. So, you know, let's say you usually have about a month to save people. You have to... You can sort of... You can either do it, you can be a total badass and go in the first day you have and just, you know, blow and through the dungeon. Wreck shit and kill everything like I did. Yeah. Every, every dungeon, one day. Two days on a dungeon, you're wasting time, motherfucker. Yeah. So do all that, get through the dungeon, or... And this is sort of how you're encouraged to play through the game, you know, the first time you do it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. It's not feasible to do yeah. that every day, dungeon yeah. one day, on yeah. your first playthrough. Is that you will sort of... You will wait to go into the dungeon for a couple weeks after you know where it is, because you'll go back into the real world, you'll work on your social links every day, you'll work on, you know, getting your social stats up and everything, so that when you go back into the dungeon, you're more powerful, maybe you've got yeah, some money, you can fuse, fuse some personas, that kind of thing. And um, that's sort of the idea. But either way you do it, it's sort of this, the same idea is there that, you know, out in the real world, on days you aren't in the dungeon, you are going around town. It's sort of, it's not open world because it's not a huge world, but you can go wherever you want in the town, yeah. find people, do a social link event with them. That will take up that designated chunk of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can do, I mean, not, not everything you do is a social link. You can do other yeah. things, but they usually revolve around building either your social stats or your relationships with other characters. Yeah. Which all then ties into Persona Fusion, uh-huh. which sort of Persona Fusion is the linchpin that sort of ties the social link and the dungeon halves of the game together. Where you know Narukami, you you've got a uh, you you have the wild card ability, which basically means you can hold multiple personas at the same time, whereas other characters can't. And part of that is that through using Igor, you can fuse your personas together to make new, even more powerful personas. And, God, this is where it gets complicated. Every single persona is attached to a specific arcana derived from the tarot cards. So, you know, like, fool, chariot, magician, what have you. And all of those arcanas are also tied to specific social links you have with people. So, for example, Yosuke is the magician social link. If you get his social link up to, like, rank 8 or something, you then go into the, the, to the Velvet Room. You take your personas. You want to fuse a magician, a magician persona like this or something. And you see when you can go fuse this, it says, you know, social link rank 8. Like, you'll get this much extra XP if you fuse this persona. You fuse that persona, and it'll get, like, three or five, three to five levels higher than its, like, normal base level from just fusing it. And that's really critical because it is really, really difficult for you to, to level up personas normally. Like, just, like, through just, like, grinding out experience because it takes a huge amount of experience. And you... And most of the personas of powerful skills are locked through their, like, leveling them up. So the only way to really be effective in combat for your main character is to fuse uh, personas that you have a powerful social link attached to, so that way they will have the most powerful abilities, so that when you go into the dungeon, you can wreck shit. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is really interesting because Persona is often compared to Pokemon for good reason. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. Superficially, it has some elements similar to Pokemon. Yeah, that like, you have these creatures that you use to battle for you. Yeah, and it's got a 
they've got elemental systems. They use yeah. them differently, but they both have like you right. know, ice against fire and stuff like that. But one of the things that is sort of broken about Pokemon and has never been fixed is that you can basically get your starter Pokemon and never use another Pokemon in the entire game except maybe at you know the water dungeon if you have Charmander or something. Yeah, yeah. Since um, yeah, since your starter Pokemon evolve into more powerful forms in every single Pokemon game. They remain the like basically the most powerful Pokemon you have for the entirety of the game. And you're never ones. you're never really encouraged to swap out Pokemon, train other ones. You sort of just forge this connection with your one or two main Pokemon, and that's what you do for the whole game. Yeah, and that's you know that's fine, whatever. But in Persona, it's a completely different ideology there, yeah. where you are encouraged. You you definitely forge a connection with your Personas. You they're really well designed. They're really exciting to make, and you really love all the Personas you make. But you're always cycling through them because every yeah. time you come out of a dungeon, even if you do like a dungeon in let's say two days, two sessions, the first half you're going to be much more powerful. You're going to need to fuse personas because you'll find personas in the dungeon through you trigger these things called shuffle times at the end of battles, and you get persona cards. Yeah, and then you take all your persona cards. You know, usually when you're done with the dungeon, you'll go back to the velvet room. You've leveled up, which means you can make new personas. You've got new personas to fuse, and then if you've been working well on your social links then you can create some really powerful personas, and you're supposed to be cycling through them pretty constantly. Yeah, yeah. If you if you are using one persona through two dungeons, you're basically playing the game wrong, unless yeah. it's something really specific that it has, like it's not weak to anything, or it's got yeah. a really powerful like debilitate skill or something like that. You are constantly moving through personas. Yeah, the only you, one you, I kept... Yeah, you like, pick them up and drop them like crazy. Yeah, the ones I... I mean, the main one like I kept through, I think, two dungeons was Black Frost, because yeah. he's very powerful, and he's weak to nothing, and he, in fact, he reflects some things. But even then, I don't think I used him for more than two dungeons. Yeah. Yeah, if you're God, if you use a persona across three dungeons, you're like you're crazy. Yeah, you, you're not going to be able to complete that third dungeon. No, it's, yeah. So it's a really interesting system where that fusion thing, as you said, it's the linchpin to the entire game because you have to do you have to fuse personas to get through those dungeons, and you're rewarded for fusing persona. You know your social links. That means yeah. you can do those fusions better. Yeah, and and they just, the social links are absolutely critical. Like if yeah, you yeah. do not have. If you're not fusing personas of a high social link ability, you are not getting personas that have powerful skills, and that's the most important part. It's uh-huh. not like that they have, you know, like 15 more stat points than they did at, like, their basic level. It's that, like, you know, if they only have three different moves, that persona is practically useless. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, you know, a one-trick pony where yeah. you want a persona that could do a lot of different things. Yeah, another interesting thing about the Persona games is that in comparison to Pokemon, in Pokemon you just have your four move slots, yeah. which was only created because the Game Boy couldn't only support yeah. that much text, and it's something that it's been really weird they never changed that. Persona has eight, which is enough to challenge you when you get to the higher level Personas and very much make you pick what you want this Persona to yeah, be, God, yeah. it's, but still have enough that you can do that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like you have you have enough slots to be able to make really diverse Personas, like, you know, I could... Make a, I could make two of the same persona, and by having them inherit inherit different skills and keeping different other skills, I could yeah. make two personas that are technically the same, but through their skill sets, function completely differently in combat. Yeah. But then it's also, you know, when you're making some, when you get to the, the end of the game and you're making some of the higher level personas, like picking which moves to keep is fucking hard. It yeah. can be heartbreaking where you're just like, this is the most powerful lightning spell in the game. And uh, but I've like I also really would like to have this like auto Tarukaja thing that just gives everybody an attack boost. It's like I can't keep both. Like yeah. one of these things has to go. And we should also mention that you know in the dungeons in the in your battles, um, it's not like Pokemon where all those element like those uh, not elemental but sort of the status 
attacks yeah. you have, like, or, yeah, like they're useless like, in Pokemon. Yeah, where Tail Whip, like, decreases someone's defense in Pokemon, it's just like, that is the move that exists, so when you're fighting a rival at the beginning of the game, where normally your ass should get kicked, you win because he uses Tail Whip, like, five times, where you just tackle his ass over and over and over again. Yeah, so those things, I mean, you're kind of conditioned in a lot of RPGs to ignore those. Yeah, in Persona is useless. Yeah, in Persona, the stat stuff is very critical. Yeah, especially against boss fights, using yeah. buffs and debuffs is really, really useful. Like, there's yeah. one spell you get, you can get called Debilitate that's one of the most po- powerful spells in the entire game, because what it does is it will, against one enemy, it will reduce their attack power, their defense, and their chance to hit, and their chance to evade, all in one spell. Yeah. I mean, it costs, like, 50 SP to cast, but, but like, using that just will completely allow you to trample a boss, just yeah. because if all of those stats are reduced, like, they reduce those stats to a significant enough degree that you can trounce that boss. Like, it's yeah. not going to do nearly enough damage, it's going to be taking way more damage than it normally would, and it's never going to fucking hit you. Yeah. And it's it's also very critical on the other side where the enemies will use those things too, yeah. and you have to be very cognizant of that. Yeah. And you have and to have, like, Yuhiko should have, like, Amrita to get rid of stat things. Yeah, yeah, or, like, Dekaja to, to yeah. keep up the enemies so that if when they get their attack up, you yeah. can get that down because if they have their attack up and they hit you, you know, it is not uncommon to see enemies doing 200 plus damage when my characters, I have maxed out level characters, the most health any character has is 650. So, yeah. like, doing 200 damage in one attack is pretty significant. Yes. So, <clears throat> so that's sort of the basics of the Persona system, the fusion. Yeah. But, well, let's stick with the dungeon stuff for now, because that's the most gameplay-heavy portions yeah. and complex, obviously. Um, so, you know, when you go into the dungeons... You when we were saying the word term dungeon, I think this is as good a time as any to explain that how how these we call these things dungeons because that's their function, but they're really nicely made. They're not like in, in some RPGs like you know Zelda yeah. or Final Fantasy where you really are going underground and just going through sort of this grimy area. Yeah. They're really imaginative places of they're they're expressions of what the characters are going through. Yeah. So like Kanji, for instance, his dungeon is the bad bad bathhouse. Yeah. And so it's they're really nicely designed graphically. They, they're just, they, the production design on all of them, art design is really beautiful. Yeah, they're all very distinct. The yeah. music for all of them is very distinct. They all have their, like, own flavor. Yeah. yeah. It's got a very varied art design. And it's a maze-like structure where when yeah. you're going through, there's all sorts of doors you can go through, different paths. And I think if you're playing the game well, you basically clear every floor by finding everything. You look at your map and make sure there's nothing you miss. Yeah, definitely. And then, and then go through. And you find the stairs and move up. And that's a fun little thing, is that most dungeons and RPGs, you're going down. In Persona, you're going up. Yeah, other than the Nauto dungeon where you do go, go down, down, and that, that's kind of really strange when you yeah. do be as a sort of inverse what you become yeah. used to over the course of Persona 4. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because running the dungeons, I, I think you would agree, is really fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And in mo- many RPGs, that's kind of the grind part of it, isn't it? But yeah, here, it's particularly for JRPGs, like yeah. that's where the term grinding really comes from. Right. And instead, these are... They're so imaginatively designed, and they're so well-made, and the music in all of them is so good... It's not just this generic dungeon music. It's specific to every character in every dungeon. Yeah. That, you know, playing through these, even ignoring the battles, it's just kind of fun to move through them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's... And this is one of the things that made me sort of, like, rekindle my faith in JRPGs when I first played it, is that it doesn't... I mean, it does a lot of new things with its turn-based combat system, but it is a turn-based combat yes. system, and you are going into dungeons, and it's like, that. that is the mechanics of the game, but they make it fun. Whereas, you know... 
I have never once enjoyed the combat in a Final Fantasy game ever once in my life. Like, I've yeah. always felt that... I, I never played Final Fantasy thirteen. I know you like the combat system that one because it's very different. But, like, most turn-based combat, like Pokemon, I find it the most simplistic, dull thing I could possibly play are those sort of turn-based combat systems where it's basically just attack, 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 attack. That's it. In, in Persona 4, the combat is immensely complex. There's a lot of different stuff that you can... There's a lot of different strategies you can enact. It's all intellectual. Yeah, yeah, and they keep and they keep things changing constantly, so you don't just get used to one strategy and can just like stick with stick with it for the whole game. Yeah, yeah, I, that's very true. And I think that's actually that's why I like the battle system in Final Fantasy XIII. Is it's similar in that it's very there's so much going on. You're really thinking as you're doing it. It's not just attack, attack, attack. You're thinking about yeah. how everything, every move counts. But that's very much what Persona is like, and. So basically, as you're moving through the dungeon, the shadows are crawling around. There's no random encounters. You see the shadows. You initiate. Yeah. If you really fuck up, they could initiate, but you yeah. have to be pretty bad at the game. Yeah, especially <laughs> especially in this version, they make it... There's, there's this nice trick in Persona 4 The Golden where they change how the uh, shadows move in the overworld when you can go initiate combat with them, where they take, like, once they see you, they take, like, a second to actually move and react. So once I realized that, basically every single time I would just, as, like, walk straight up to a shadow, it would start reacting to me, I just run right, right past it, flick the stick backwards, turn around and smack it in the back and get player advantage. Yeah. So, yeah, you can either get just a normal encounter where you just have the battle, you can get a player advantage where you get an extra turn first, yeah. or enemy advantage where they get an extra turn first if they attack you. Yeah, and, that, and sometimes when they get enemy advantage, you can get fucked hard you can get when fucked they get enemy really advantage, hard. because you can die, like, you can die really quickly in this game. Like, attacks do a lot of damage. Battles are two to three turns max. Yeah. Like, at a certain point, if you're, like, powerful enough... Like for my in my game, like enemies wouldn't even get to attack. Once I would like figure out what like basically their weaknesses were, I would finish it before it would come around to their turn. Yeah. So now let's talk about the battle system. Um, the battle screen is what's what's. I mean, part I just want to say the graphics of this. The, the battle screens are really fun because there's yeah. they really show that there's like a really nice sort of arena kind of thing you're in. Like they, the, the for each dungeon, yeah. the battle like area is really imaginatively designed. Everyone's there. They're moving around. It's not like old, like you know, pixel Final Fantasy where you're on one side, they're on the other. Yeah, it's, I like you kind of surround the enemies. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I like that. That you kind yeah. of get them boxed in. Yeah, there's just a lot of visual information going on. But your yeah. basic options are pretty simple. You've got you know you can guard for your turn, which will like negate or like decrease enemy damage to yeah, you. Yeah, and it will prevent them from being able to exploit elemental weaknesses. Yeah. That's the key from the guarding thing. You can attack yourself with your own weapons that you equip. So, like, Narukami will take his katana, run up, and just slash them. Yeah, do a very basic physical strength, damage. Yeah, just strength-based, strength-stat-based attack yeah. that also can have a chance to crit. But what's but the most important option on there in terms of how you will usually play the game is skill. And that's yeah. where you go to your... You access your persona... And and all your other characters because you can control them directly. Yeah. Uh, and you say you know skill, and you pick one of their skills, and it's either uses SP, which is your stat points, or your you know HP, which is your health points, as for physical attacks, and they can do powerful damage, elemental or physical, against the enemies. Yeah. And then when you're Nar- when you're playing as Narukami, obviously you can also go to the Persona mm-hmm. option and switch which Persona you're using. Yeah. And you eventually have twelve slots. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the other characters, they all have one, so it's a little simpler to manage them. Yeah, God, it would be it would be so crazy if everybody in that game yeah. could have twelve different personas at once. It'd be impossible. Yeah, but anyway, so let's just describe the battle system. How does it work? Okay, so the basic flow of how a normal like battle just happens—that's like ignoring boss battles—is you know you go, you initiate your combat, 
uh, like it's it is all stat based. You know, you have like strength, agility, uh, endurance, magic, and luck, and yeah. so it's like you have your stats. And they all basically do what you would expect those stats to do. And so it's all based on sort of like numbers and rolls. So it's, you know, it's turn-based combat. And so once you go in, let's say you... Every single enemy... Okay, not every single enemy has a weakness. But most enemies have a weakness to a certain type of attack. Be it physical or like some of the elements like fire, ice, uh, wind, and lightning. Or there's also two other things called light and dark that are instant kill spells that have a high chance to miss against most enemies. But if an enemy is weak to light or dark attacks, the light or dark attack will hit them no matter what. And so most of the combat is revolves around you trying to like try like the first time you encounter a type of enemy, which is like you you encounter like you know basically three sets of sort of groups of enemies in every single dungeon. So it's like. For, like, the first three floors, you're going to run into the same three or four groups of different enemies. So it's like the first time you run into a new group of enemies, you sort of, like, do these rounds with all of your characters, casting, you know, if you want, like, I'm going to cast us lightning on this dude, wind on that dude, ice on that dude, fire on that dude. Just, trying like, trying out everything I can, trying to figure out what these enemies are weak to. Then once you figure that out, they have this thing where, they have the status effect where if you get hit by something you are weak to, you become down. And if all of the enemies become downed at the same time, you can trigger something called an all-out attack that, like, 80% of the time will kill all of the enemies. So so the normal combat is you try to figure out what the enemies are weak to the first time you encounter them, and then it will store that information, and you can, like, bring it up whenever. So it's like once you find out, you know, this, like, tongue dude is weak to fire, every time I then encounter this specific type of enemy, it will tell me, yeah, no, this is weak to fire, you figured this out, you can remember it. And so you exploit the weaknesses the first time you encounter them, and then every subsequent time they'll mix it up by like throwing different enemies in together. So you can't necessarily always do fire against everybody because like some of those dudes might repel the fire back at you or something like that. So you have to try to figure out how to exploit all the enemies' weaknesses, and get them all down at the same time, and go in for an all-out attack. And that's basically eighty percent of your fight is just trying to do that. And making it more difficult as it goes on by making some enemies aren't weak to anything. Some enemies, like, will repel or absorb a large amount of different types of attacks. So you have to be really cautious and, like, not necessarily, like, using a really powerful lightning spell on someone you don't know what it's going to do on. Because it might reflect back at you and fucking do 200 damage, points of damage against you. And what's really nice about this combat system is, one, it keeps it very intellectual. You have to be constantly thinking about what you're doing. Since they mix up the enemies all the time, you're constantly having to go through this phase of trying to figure out what they're weak against. And then once you do figure out what they're weak against, that means that most of the fights against those enemies can go by in about a minute to two minutes. And so the combat can go by super, super fast. You're constantly going in and out of combat once you know strategies that work. Yeah. And, you know, if you, there's sort of basic strategies that happen no matter what. If you, you know, hit an enemy with something they are weak to, you get your one more attack. Yeah. You can get another attack. You can either just attack them again with something that works or attack someone else. Um, and if you get everybody down, um, like you would to get a one more yeah. attack, but if you get everyone down, then you can have everyone rush in for a, an attack and everyone, and it does basically heavy almighty yeah. damage. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, so, and there's an analysis option that keeps track of everything yeah. you've learned, so you don't have to, like, if you forget what an enemy's weak to, you don't have to refigure it out, mm-hmm. which is nice. And then about, you know, once, pretty late into the game, for the last couple dungeons, then Risei, who's your sort of guide character, becomes powerful enough that she can just tell everyone's weaknesses, 
Yeah, and, if you have, like, if you're going up against an enemy that's weak to lightning and you have a guy in that has a lightning spell, she will just tell you, hey, the, these these guys are weak to lightning. Yeah. Which is nice. That that feature is not in the original version of the game, but it's a nice bit of pacing for the golden version because it means, you know, once you know how, to, you know, once you know how to, like, use the combat system well, it'll just be like, we're going to cut out this middleman step for you and, like... You know, you're going to be true. You're going to do this thing where you try everything on every single enemy. Let's just like cut that process out at this point because yeah. you figured it out. It would be no fun if they did that for you right at the beginning. Yeah. But having it at that point in the game really, I think it it, re, it kind of relivens your interest in the combat. Yeah, because it makes it even faster because yeah. you don't have to try to figure out what everyone's going yeah. to right away. And then for the Marie, at least for me and how I was leveled, for the Marie and Izanami dungeons, you have full analysis all the time. Yeah, yeah, that was the same for me. Yeah. So, pretty good. Uh, like the, the combat system is a ton of fun, and I think that's really what distinguishes this from a lot of JRPGs, where it's it's really fun to do the battles. And yeah, I agree. Sometimes the dungeons can feel a little long, but that's the whole idea, is that they are very much endurance runs. Yeah. You're, you're really not supposed to just go in and do every dungeon in a day. Like, if you're really good, you can, and it's fun yeah. that way. But the idea is that your, your SP is sort of this management system where that's the thing that will deplete. Your HP, yeah. you really don't have to worry about. You have healing skills. It's yeah. really easy to get healing items. So HP really isn't going to fuck you, but your SP will go down pretty fast because you have to use it for a lot of attacks. And if you run out of SP, you really have to get out of the dungeons. You have these items called go-homes or eventually the triesto spell. Yeah. And you can use those to get out of the dungeon. It will save your progress. You can go back to that dungeon wherever you left off, on that floor at least. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's kind of a very clever way to make sure that the dungeons are, are well-paced and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Once you're, once you're feeling tired of the dungeon, you want, like, that is kind of an intentional effect that the game's putting on you, that yeah. you want, the game wants you to back out of the dungeon and, and yeah. to go back into the real world and sort of, like, spend some more time social linking, making new personas, then come back in sort of fresh, reinvigorated, and then, like, you know, go for that last haul. Yeah. And that's very different than most JRPGs, because yeah. usually when you're tired of a dungeon, you just slug through it yeah, and, and just, hope you'll find a safe point. You're just there. tired of that dungeon, and yeah. then it sort of, I guess, leads into the, the most critical thing about Persona is the pacing of it. That, like, what yeah. Persona has, I think, that defines it for me over other JRPGs is that the dungeon stuff is not the only stuff in the game. Right. Whereas, you know, in, in most JRPGs, just in most games, when you when you get tired of that main combat mechanic, you're fucked because that's that is ninety percent of that game. Yeah. Whereas with Persona, that's like sixty percent of the game. It is it is as far as like the interactive stuff, it is the technical majority of it. But to a know, certain degree, yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't you know when you do a social link, you don't like control your characters. You're mostly just watching it, but you have a lot of agency. In fact, you have total agency in everything you do in the real world. I mean, like, you have, you have the, the choices, choices to, make. to make what you're going to do, but still, yeah, yeah. The, the actual, like, gameplay parts of it, right, right, right. because, you know, each dungeon is probably about five hours long. Like, yes. that is significant. That is, that is as long as most RPGs is just dungeon stuff. Yes, very true. But, you know, I think that's, that's, that's very accurate what you just said about if you get tired of dungeons, you're kind of fucked, and that's, I think that's, you know, like, for instance, I've said that I love the battle system in Final Fantasy XIII, and that's why I like that game. And I really do love it and never would get tired of it, but that's the thing about Final Fantasy XIII, is it's not like Persona where there's another half of it yeah. where you do other stuff. You That's the gameplay of Final Fantasy, is the battles. And so that's the downfall of certain Final Fantasy games. It's what I like about Thirteen, but that game could be legitimately great if they had something else to go along yeah. with it. And in Persona, one of the reasons why this game is a masterpiece is because the dungeons are really fun, and then the other stuff you do is even better. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think we already kind of covered the day-to-day stuff. I don't know what more there is to say about it than, you know, you go around, you do your social links. Yeah. There's a lot of other stuff, especially in the Golden, you can choose to do. You can travel to Okina City and see a movie with one of your friends. It'll level yeah. up their personas. You can go do, you know, shopping and stuff. That stuff will not take away your time. Yeah. Um, but pretty much any event you trigger with another person is what's going to take up your time. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, just doing normal day-to-day stuff, like... Yeah, going shopping is not going to move you to evening. But yeah, yeah. anytime you're doing like a social link or, you know, or even, I think the one that's the funniest, I don't think you, you probably never even really discovered this because it's a really small thing. But on rainy days outside the Shiroku store, there is a capsule machine that will only operate on rainy days and you get like one junk item, like, you know, like a pinwheel or something out of it that does like 50 points of wind damage if you consume that item. And that takes up your time, just operating the fucking capsule machine. I imagine there's probably like a one in like a dozen chance or something of you getting something really useful out of that capsule machine, but that's a fucking capsule machine. <laughs> you can also, you know, you can try to progress. Once you get far enough in a social link, sometimes the next time you go to hang out with that person, it will not automatically trigger the next event. You have to do some stuff in between. Yeah. And Golden adds some nice ways to make that a little easier. Yeah. So, like, at night, you can go outside and maybe, like, Chie will just be standing there. You can go talk to Chie and that will fill in the gap. Yeah, that will give you some, like... I guess what I would consider like social link points. You, yeah. need, you have like a certain tally of points you need to get to to be able to trigger the next social link event. And yeah, there's in the original game, the only way to sort of get around that was for your school friends. If you do really well on tests, you become more popular. Unlike in real life, when you become do really well on tests, everybody hates you if they yeah. do poorly on that test. Um, you can also go to the shrine every evening. You can do it during the day too, yeah. but you can. Um, Go there and like take a fortune, and that will basically that'll do that'll also give you social link points. Yeah, you have to tie it around a tree. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's not a tree, it's like a little okay thing yeah. like these wires that you would yeah, like, yeah. tie them onto. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. In the in the golden, they they add a lot of little tiny little choices you can make. I mean, if that relationship fortune thing was not there, I would not have been able to max out my social links because at the end of the game, that was my strategy. was... I'm going to get all these people that like these five social links I have to the point where I can't advance them anymore. And then every night I'm just pulling out relationship portions for fucking everybody. Yeah. And that, that is, it is a key strategy that they added into this that you can yes. exploit. So what else is there to talk about from a gameplay standpoint? Uh, I guess uh, talk about sort of like the mechanics of the boss fights, I guess. Because oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That is very, because like I said, like what I was talking about, the weaknesses, that is how the... Normal fights work. Boss fights are completely different. Boss yeah, fights they're are very challenging. Yeah, they are also basically like you described the dungeon as an endurance run. The bosses are very much like that, where yeah. the bosses will have basically two to three strategies that they will like general strategies they will enact over the course of their their like health bar, and as you like whittle them down, they'll start like pulling out different moves and stuff. But the main thing you have to do with the bosses is sort of. Figure out a combination of things that is going to work for you, like, you know, have Yukiko heal everybody every two turns, have Chie fucking, like, boosting everybody's attack every opportunity she gets, and it's like, and then, you know, maybe, like, have Yosuke and Narukami on just, like, spamming, like, wind spells or something, and just, like, you figure out what works against that boss, and just keep with it until the boss will maybe change something up, and you'll have to start guarding every other turn or something like that. It's like, sort of, the boss fights are designed around you have to come up with a strategy 
stick with it until the point where you realize the strategy will no longer work and sort of like adjust it to something that will work. And, and it's, they it's a nice balancing act you have to take every single boss fight. And they typically take a long time. You can yeah, take, they definitely do. You can spend more than an hour on one boss. It can take a really long time. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah they, have, they have lengthy health bars. Yes. It is an endurance run. You have to... Because, because if they didn't do that, it wouldn't... Those bosses, those fights would not be significant in any way because right. there's no, like, sense of... Because a lot of times, you know, I, it sounds really simple when you say just, like, pick a strategy and stick with it. But sometimes it just simply won't work. Like, something as simple as you missing or the boss getting a crit on someone can completely fuck everything over for you. And so you have to like, respond very quickly. Yeah, and you have, to, you have to be on your toes and be willing to... You know, change things up and hope that things scrape out okay. Yeah, because yeah, because especially early on in the game when you don't have a good handle on the mechanics, those boss fights are really challenging. I know you specifically had a lot of trouble with the uh, kanji one. Um, I had a little bit of trouble with the kanji one. Yeah, I had to do it once or twice. It was more the uh, the Yukiko one really fucked me the first time I did it. I had to do that like five times. That's a long boss fight. Kanji one was kind of tough. The one I remember that. Uh, frustrated me. I only had to do it twice, but frustrated me was the Risei one, because you have to go through Risei's whole boss, then you have to go through a lot of cutscenes, and you have to do Teddy's whole boss, and Teddy's boss is the first one in the game that just has an insane amount of HP. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the turning point for the boss fights. Like, that's what they're like from that point out, basically. Although the Naoto one is super easy. Yeah, yeah. It's actually kind of interesting, too, because in the Golden version, they do... They change some of the bosses very slightly, like... Uh, they add some weaknesses in the kanji boss fight that were yeah. not there originally. So they do, they they smooth out that difficulty curve a little bit. But I think part of that, that I, th- I do feel that like difficulty spike when you hit the Yukiko boss is kind of is really important because yes. it sort of smacks you in the face with reality and says like, "Hey asshole, stop using Izanagi like that." Your first persona, you can't be using him anymore. You need to go out, fuse some fucking personas, like get your shit together. You're not getting past this point unless you we demonstrate you have a basic understanding of how important social links are, how important persona fusion is, and and like the basic strategies for handling bosses. Like yeah, they definitely. definitely make that jump really difficult. So once you get past that point you have a much better understanding of how the game works. Yeah. So, I think we've talked about most of the gameplay stuff. Do you want to talk about how you over-leveled yourself like a motherfucker? Yeah, okay. Yeah, let's, let's move to, like, let's just, like, have some, I like, get personal stories about our playthroughs. Yeah, 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 I, I think that'd be good. Is that, yeah, for me, you know, obviously I, I played the original game, I played Persona 3, so I'm very experienced with the Persona games. And then, in particular, the thing I did right before I played Persona 4, the Golden, was play the epilogue, which is basically a really long 30-hour campaign, but in the scope of a 100-hour-long game. <laughs> it's an epilogue of, for Persona 3 called Persona 3 Fest. And episode Igus? Yeah, Episode Igus, the Japanese name for it, the answer, the English name for it. But Episode Igus is such a cooler name. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but that section of gameplay is uh, automatically on the hard difficulty, and the Persona 3 gameplay combat is already harder than the Persona 4 one, and so having to like having this like thirty hour in Persona Three Fest that epilogue is really heavy on the combat in a way that at first really turned me off and then it kind of broke me on the combat where now it like made me fall in love with the combat all over again where I like it even more now than I used to it's kind of uh, weird it's almost like part of it almost kind of Stockholm feels like Stockholm syndrome, syndrome. Yeah. yeah but like but yeah but like going from like the hard already harder Persona Three to even a harder epilogue and then kicking it down to where Persona Four the Golden is not like a really easy game or anything, but it's easier than vanilla Persona 4. So going from like the hardest Persona stuff I had ever played to then immediately going to the easiest Persona stuff I had ever played, 
made like th- I should have played this game on hard, no yeah, doubt yeah. about it, because I breezed through this game because they just give you so many things. Like they give you, they add elements to the shuffle time thing at the end of fights where you can get little cards, the cup cards that recharge uh, HP and SP. You could not get that in the original game. So when I discovered that and I was in the Yukiko dungeon, I was like. Oh my god, I can I can just in this dungeon without spending any fucking money, I can recharge like little bits of SP after basically every other fight. That was like a gift from God. Like yeah, it was yeah. like from being so used to the normal Persona 4 and Persona 3 stuff of like this is an endurance run, like you are going as far as you can, and you might have a couple of chewing souls or something to recharge a little bit of SP, but like that's it. You've got like a couple of pick me ups you can use, or you can blow like a hundred thousand yen on Fox and get everything back. It's like like I just ground out the like top two floors of the Yukiko Dungeon right before the boss for like ten minutes, just getting all my SP up so I could just to the point where I could go in and take out the boss. So that overleveled me a little bit, but then also something they add in Persona Four: The Golden, and this is my theory that like past this point. I was significantly overleveled. I was 20 to 30 levels higher than <laughs> the recommended content. Like, by the... I reached the maximum level... Okay, I reached level 96 by the time I fought the Adachi boss, which is, you should be about level 75 when you fight the Adachi boss. So... I mean, even... I, mean, I should say, even I was overleveled pretty... Like, like enough to be somewhat significant for much of the game, but that's like... Like, when I fought Adachi, I was probably at 80 at that point. Yeah. But being at 96... That's fucking nuts. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how that happened, but I'm speculating. One of the things they added in the golden is this is something that is in all the is in Persona Three and Four, but they changed how they work in Golden. Or these like little golden hand monsters that are really rare to find. In normal Persona Four, if you defeated them, you would just get chest keys, so you could open like really big chests, and that was it. That's like the only way you got chest keys. In Persona Four, the golden instead, those dudes give you like about. I would say like 15,000 experience and probably about 20,000 yen for every single one you kill, which is massive. That is that is so much. That is basically, you know, if you kill two to three of them in one fight, that is a level for everybody. Like, that is so much fucking XP. And so I very quickly, as soon as I realized that that was the case, that those guys give you so much XP, I very quickly came up with the strategy of using a lot of almighty damage and then a lot of physical damage to take them out, and I think it was a... I was able, since I was so experienced with the combat system to this point, I was able to come up with that strategy quicker than you are kind of meant to. So, by the time I was in the kanji dungeon, I was basically clearing, like, you know, because those guys will escape if they get, like, two turns. If it comes around to their turn twice and they haven't died yet, those dudes will run away. So it's, it is really frustrating when you do, because it's when they do, because it's like... I wasted there, a lot yeah, of stuff. There goes 15,000 XP, god damn it. But, you know, by the time I was in the kanji dungeon, it was pretty rare for one of those guys to get away, unless it was a group of five or four of them, where it's like, if one of them gets away, that's fine. Like, I've got a, a bigger pile of stuff to take care of. I'm, like, one of you guys can run. But, yeah, like, I very... And I think that's what it is. I have no fucking clue because it's like I was so ridiculously overleveled. Where like by the time I finished the game in the original playthrough, and granted they they also did not have the uh, the Marie dungeon in the original playthrough. There's, there's one dungeon lower, but I was probably about level eighty one when I defeated the first boss in my in the original playthrough. Because yeah, because the last persona I made was level seventy eight, dude. So I would have I would have had to have been around there. And so in this game, I was level I was level ninety nine for a good chunk before I actually fought the last boss. Yeah, and no then, fucking clue, no fucking clue how that happened. But it was awesome because 
Dude, when you get overleveled in that game, you are a fucking monstrosity. Because, you know, you, you're about 20... If you fucking get to the max level, you're about 20 levels higher than you should be by the end of the game. Like, those personas you are making are ridiculous. They have... One of them, Lucifer, has an ability. He's like the... He, you have to be like level 94 to make him or something like that. So he's like the highest level one in terms of level cap to make. That motherfucker has an ability that after every single fight, all of your HP and all of your SP are instantly restored. That's ridiculous. It's kind of useless at that point in the game, but if I did a New Game Plus and pulled his ass out, like, the, the, like the first five dungeons, like I wouldn't have to think about them at all. Because every, every single fight, all my SP is back. Don't have to think about it. Yeah. That'd be crazy. Yeah. And then you, this is so funny, you decided you were going to finish your compendium because you were close yeah. enough. Yeah, because since, you know, the reason why I never even tried to in the first game was because, you know, again, Lucifer is like, you have to be like level 94 to 96 to make that motherfucker. If I'm at level 81, there's no way I'm going to grind yeah. out 15 levels to then make this, like, really specific persona. But since I was already high enough level to make him, I was like, I could, I could make every single persona. I was like... I have this opportunity I was not anticipating to have. I was like, I have to do this. I, if I can do this, I have to make every single Persona, because I never did that in normal Persona 4. I never did that in Persona 3. So it's like, I have to fill out the compendium. And so I did spend a good like five to six hours just grinding out, getting a bunch of money, like grabbing a bunch of Persona cards from the various dungeons, and fusing out the last like 10% of that compendium is an expensive, time-consuming process, because... Well, so you were running all these dungeons just to get money, and you were getting nothing else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the like, experience was completely useless. It was really nice when uh, the shuffle time would come up, and if there was, like, something that was, like, three more, if you pick, like, you get three, you can pick three more cards if you pick this card, but you, like, it takes away all of your XP, I was like, that's fine. Yeah. I don't need any fucking XP. I'm level 99, cunt. Take it away. It's, it was just very funny to hear about because it it's like the Marie dungeon was useless to you because yeah. you were 99 and that dungeon gives you very little EXP and absolutely no money. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it gives you zero yen for every single yeah. fight. So at a certain point... Here, let's just talk about the Marie dungeon now. I guess that, that was Yeah, yeah that's actually probably... Because this is, a, this is an interesting point of discussion. It's definitely the... Both sort of critical of. Yeah, it's definitely the least interesting dungeon in the game in yeah. terms of gameplay. Story-wise, I think we already talked about it. It's really cool. It's yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Adding on to that, like, having that cap to the Marie story and, like, yeah. figuring out what's really going on with her is really interesting. But what that dungeon does is it's basically trying to sort of challenge you at this point in the game. It's very much almost like a challenge dungeon. Like yeah. an extra one. It is an extra, obviously, in the golden version. And um, so what happens is when you go in, all your items are stripped away. Yeah. For one, you are just kind of sucked into doing this one day. You don't... It just happens at the end of the ski trip. Yeah, and you have to do it all in one day. Right. You, don't, you can't go out and do social link shit or anything. No. You have to do this all in one day. You do have access to the Velvet Room and to a save point. Yeah. And you have to... It's like... It's a normal length dungeon and floor-wise, but basically you have no items... Your SP it, it, it does give you some, some items, items but all the with. items you normally have are taken away. So right, it's like, and the items you yeah. get in the dungeon are absolutely crucial to playing this dungeon, and if you're not level 99. <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, so you have to go through, your SP is halved at the end of every battle, yeah. which is incredibly frustrating, <laughs> and then you have, that's basically it, I guess, but the, the enemies get very tough near the top. Um, and it's just sort of, it is just very much, it heightens that sense of being an endurance run. Yeah. And for me at least, I guess I'll talk about my experiences, it was different than yours, because yeah. you were so overpowered at that point. Um, my experience with it was, I thought it was actually really fun for the first couple floors, because it was so different, and it was yeah. sort of like managing SP in a different way, uh, it added this kind of extra intellectual challenge to it. It's a very 
visually appealing dungeon to go through, great music, so that's pretty cool, but you go on, and you go on, and you go on, and it feels like the longest dungeon in the game. It, it does really... It does have the largest floors, because yes. like, at a certain point, like every other floor is this huge maze where every single time you sort of basically open a door, you like you have like an eighty percent chance that opening that door is going to trigger a fight. So it's yeah. like you have this, and since you have no idea where the exit is, you're just walking around like opening all these different doors and getting in all these fights, just being like, where the fuck is the exit? And when at, one, at some points you're pretty fucking weak if you're not you know level ninety nine. Yeah. And so it's I was level ninety six here. Okay, let's, level ninety six. All right. So it was yeah it was it was pretty tough and and it's just it tough not in terms of like it was it was not a huge challenge like I didn't I don't think I died in this dungeon or anything I didn't die during the boss fight I know but it was just definitely like I was like oh my fucking god this is going on forever it was one of the, those ones where I sat down intending like I'm just going to play the whole dungeon right now and I had to just put my Vita into sleep and get to it the next day because it was just a time was running out yeah. and b it was just like I I don't care anymore so you definitely had to recharge my own sort of real life batteries in the middle, but um, so that's kind of what that dungeon's like. And it's the the boss fight itself. I actually found fun. It's one of the fun. I really like the boss fight. Yeah, I liked it. It, too. Was, it was a clever one. Yeah. they didn't just throw out another. This is going to take five hours because he's got a huge health bar kind of thing. Yeah, it was a really fun boss fight. But the dungeon itself is pretty clunky, and it's not. It's definitely the least fun dungeon in the game. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. What did you think? So for me, I had a very strange experience with that dungeon because again, I was level ninety six when I went in there. I was, um, I think, I was level ninety nine by the time I came out. But so by the time I went in there, I had just made like right before I went into the dungeon, like when I went to the velvet room. That's when I made Lucifer, who gets that victory cry spell that recharges all of your SP at the end of every single fight. And it was a very strange point in the game to get that ability because, as you said, like part of the thing about the, the that dungeon is that it have your SP at the end of every single fight. And they do give you items that recharge your SP at the beginning of every single term, turn, but it's only like 5 to 8 SP. Yeah, you, make get, up- you get better versions as, as it goes on. So it's not like you're, you are always out of SP, but you'd like... You, the idea of the dungeon is you're meant to manage your SP very strategically because you're going to be on the ropes constantly. Like, if you're using like too many spells in one fight, you're going to get fucked. Yeah. So that's the idea of it. But I had just made Lucifer, who had Victory Cry. So what happened for me in that dungeon was every single fight, I would like like everybody else's SP was like really low. Like past a certain point, I think it stops having their SP. It's like if they have like they have like a handful, like twenty or so. Yeah. And or actually, it might not even be that they stopped having it. It might have just been that having it did so little yeah. compared to them like recharging. Like I don't. I, didn't pay that attention that much attention to the mechanics. But so for everybody else, they had a really small amount of SP, but enough to cast like one spell per, per fight, and they would get it back fine. But for me, because you also at this point you have a thing that recharges some of your SP at the end of every single fight, so it's like it sort of ended up balancing out at a certain point for everyone else. But for me, I had victory cry. So what yeah. happened was at the end of every single fight, my SP would be instantly recharged to full, and then also instantly halved. So I was going through, so my dude in that dungeon constantly had half SP, which normally that would be like whatever, but you're not supposed to have SP in that, half SP in that dungeon. So it was like already, it was completely unfair, like me being that high level, but that specific ability meant that I could do, my guy could cast whatever spell I wanted without me having to consider it whatsoever, as long as I had Lucifer in by the time that fight ended. So that complete mechanic of that dungeon completely f- like f- fell away from me because it did not matter. Yeah. And then 
So at a certain point, I also felt like, because one, all I wanted, all that would be useful to me at this point in the game is getting more money and items. And since, like, the items you get in that dungeon you can't take away and you get no money, it was like, these fights do literally nothing. Like, I get nothing from these fights. So at a certain point, like, after the third floor or so, I just decided, fuck it, I'm just going to run to the end of this dungeon, and which was a little bit annoying when you got to the floors where you had to, like, the maze-like floors. But it was actually kind of fun once I reached that point where I was like, I'm going to ignore every shadow I run into. I'm just going to try to find the floor, like the stairs, as quickly as possible. I'm just going to try to get to the end. And it kind of added this sense of, since you have to do that dungeon all in one day, and like, you know, sort of in my head, the sort of canonical experience of that game is that Narukami and Marie are romantically attached to each other. Yeah. So, like, like, having that character motivation with it as well made it seem like sort of like this desperate run that's like, I just have to get to Marie as quickly as possible. It kind of added something to the experience in a really weird way that it's like you would like is not sort of like native to the game itself yeah yeah and then once i got to the actual boss one of the things that's really really interesting about that boss fight is that the 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 marie boss repels every single type of damage you can cast at her except for almighty damage and so what you're supposed to do is that throughout the dungeon you get these items that you can use to sort of basically drop their elemental, like an enemy's elemental resistance. But I hadn't really been paying attention to that because I had been skipping through the vast majority of that dungeon, so I wasn't really paying attention to what items I was getting or the fact that most of the enemies at a certain point also repelled the most damage to, like, you know, sort of trying to teach you to use these items against enemies. And so by the time I got to that boss, I went through a good, like, four turns where I basically just used almighty damage against that boss because I had uh, Naoto who could do it and I had my guy who could do it. And, like, Naoto and uh, almighty damage spells are sort of really extravagant. They use a lot of SP, and but they don't do, like, massive amounts of damage because, they like, nothing is really resistant to it. And so I had this really weird thing where if I had kept on going with that, it would have taken a while. I feasibly could have defeated that boss without using the strategy you're meant to use defeating the boss by using those items to drop their resistance, because it never occurred to me, because I never use items, and I never paid attention to what items I got from that dungeon. But past a certain point, I, like, realized there's got to be so Like, this is not the way you're supposed to fight this boss, is by fucking spamming Megiddo spells all the time and, like, using 30 SP every single turn. So eventually I decided to look through my item list and use that, but I thought that was... I had a very strange experience going through the Marie dungeon. Yeah. So any any other things about Persona, the personal experiences? You know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have any stories like that. I think one of the things I thought I should mention is that obviously this is a game where there are a lot of parts that you just, that where a lot of stuff happens. There's just yeah. lengthy sections. And, you know, you have to... It's sort of like if you were just playing this on your console in the original version without like an emulator with save states or something, there would be just a lot of times you're like, oh man, I have to just clear out five hours of my life. Yeah. And I think they did some really nice adaptations in the Golden yeah. to make it really easy just to play whenever. And part of that is just the Vita's infrastructure is great for a game like this, where you can just hit the power button, it's in sleep, leave it there as long as you fucking want, and you can come back whenever. Yeah. So if you are if you are in the middle of a cutscene or a fight and something comes up. You just sleep mode it, and you can go do your thing. Yeah. But there's also a lot of good save points. So I just the, my sort of general experience playing this game was sort of really laid back, where I could just play it whenever I needed to. If I had 30 minutes, just take it out for 30 minutes and play it. If I had an hour between classes, do that. 
or if I really just wanted to sit down for an evening and devote myself to that, it was very fun to do that too. Yeah. I think I just wanted to mention that that I think they made really good strides to make this a portable game in every sense of the word where you really can play it portably. Yeah, yeah, one of the most outside of just like adding new content to the game, they made a whole host of sort of usability improvements that I was really glad to have because like, you know, th- this is a very complex game and sort of managing all of that in the menus and stuff at a certain point in the original Persona, in Persona 3 and the original Persona 4, was very difficult and sort of cumbersome in a way that was really understandable because there's so much going on. But they, like, hopefully, like, this is the standard of sort of, like, what these these interfaces will be like in Persona 5. Yeah. Because, you know, there's just little things like the fact that if you die on, on most of the difficulties, I don't think this works on the hardest ones, but if you die on a floor in a dungeon, it will just restart you at the beginning of that floor, I guess, like, it never yeah. happened to me. But I, I understand that that is what happens. Yeah, I only died. I only died during boss fights, obviously. And yeah. That's, yeah, that's what Which, happened. And that freak, that thing freaked me out for a second because when I played the game, you know, in normal Persona Four, that doesn't happen. Like you have to, just, like every time you die, you have to reload a save point. And so part of like one like one strategy you have to come up with is you have to have a bunch of go homes that kick you out to the front of the dungeon because that's where the save point is. So it's like so when you start playing the game and I didn't know about that, it will respond you thing. I told you, get a shit ton of go-home. And I got a shit ton of go-home. so important. And, you know, it is still it is still an important item to have because it will help you kick out to the beginning of the dungeon, but you don't need to do it. Like, I would do it, like, every single floor just to get a hard save point. But then also, at the before every single, like, final boss room, there would also be a save point there. In Persona 4 The Golden, since it just restarts you at the beginning of that floor... They didn't bother putting a save point there because there's no real reason to have it. Like, the main reason that save point was there was just almost as a checkpoint right before the boss fight. And so when I got to the Yukiko boss and I wasn't thinking about it and I saw there was no save point there, I freaked out for a second. I was like, wait, what? Why is there, oh god, like, if I, I need to back the fuck out of here, I need to go to the beginning of that dungeon. Like, I need this hard save point before a boss. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of funny how I was so... I was so conditioned by original Persona 4 that not seeing that save point there, I like had this like really brief moment of like really serious panic. Like it's something where like I get got so involved into those games that it's like not having that there, I was like, oh what the fuck is going on? Like my world was turned upside down for like a brief second. Yeah. Where's my save point? I need my save point, goddammit. My comfort save point. Yes. <laughs> Alright, so anything else to talk about on that level? Uh, just, you know, there's like, there's so many little tiny things, like, I think the biggest, okay, this is, this is the biggest thing, this is the biggest, this, to me, this is the most important thing they did, that they put in the Golden, that was not in the original game, you know, Marie, is cool, whatever, the Dodge Social Link, that's pretty awesome, the biggest fucking thing, you can pick what skills Personas inherit, when you fuse Personas, that to me, that's fucking amazing, because the original game, you know, like, every Persona, when you, like, fuse two Personas together to make a more powerful one, it can inherit, like, three to four of those other Personas' skills. And in the original game, how that worked was it was, you basically had to roll the dice every single time. You didn't have to commit every time you rolled the dice, like, you would, like, select both the Personas you wanted to fuse and then see what skill loadout he had, and then it's like, that was, like, completely by, like, luck. And then you'd, like, back out, reselect those Personas, go back and see what he had that time. So you're just, like, rolling the dice over and over and over and over again. And if there were, like, some Personas that it's just, like, I need to have two or three of these skills on this Persona. Like, that is the reason I'm making this Persona, is to have all these skills on one fucking dude. You, I would be, I would sit there for, like, ten minutes at a time. Just, like, like back out, back out, select, select, back out, back out, select, select. God damn it. Like, you only have two of the three. In this game, you can 
fucking just pick them from a list, and that is 100%. That is the best improvement. That is that probably cut out about two hours of extra game time, just yeah. not having to go back in and read and all that stuff. And I can't even comment on this, because I cannot imagine how you would play the game without that. Just can't imagine it. I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know how the game works. I can't see it that way. It's just because, like, that is so fundamental yeah. to how I fuse personas, and fusing personas is so fundamental to how you play the game. Yeah, because it makes... It makes it just so much easier to fuse the personas you want to fuse and get what you want to get out of it where you can, you know, at a certain point I was able to pass down a handful of skills that I wanted on basically every persona I was going to use, like Invigorate or Autotarakaja that just gives someone a DAC boost boost at the end of every single turn. It's like I could just pass those skills down when I got them and just, like, not have to worry about it. In the original game, you just have to drop that at some point. At some point, you just have to be like, I'm just going to settle for what I've got because I don't want to do this for an hour just backing out and reselecting these personas. So, like, if if you are someone who's played the other Persona games and is on the fence about playing Persona 4 The Golden, that alone, like, that alone is the most amazing feeling, just being like, "I I don't have to worry about it. I can just pick whatever I want. Yeah, I can have my cake and I, and I can eat it too. Thank you, Persona Four: The Golden. All right, so I, I don't think there's anything else for me to talk about on that level. Um, and I think we're, we're running long here. Obviously, we've got we've spoken a long time. So why yeah. don't we? Obviously, Persona Four is something that could merit dozens and dozens of podcasts of this length if we want to talk about all the scenes we loved and things yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like we never even really mentioned the event scenes, like the big, yeah, like you know, camping trip. We talked about the band thing a little yeah. bit, but there's I like think it's too, a dozen I, of those. And I think the thing is, if you were to do a podcast properly about Persona 4, you would have to just... You'd have to do a podcast. Uh, like, you'd day. have to spend a year yeah. of just that, and that is just that podcast. Is all yeah, yeah. this, like, for the, over the course of a year, every single episode is just Persona 4. And that's, kind of what, that's kind of what's so fun about playing is that yeah. when Sean and I played it, we were just playing it, like, we both had a Vita and were playing it, and so we would always just talk about, like, oh, wasn't that scene awesome, and talk about how fun it was. Yeah. And we can't really do that in this format, which is too bad. Yeah. But it's it's definitely the fun of playing Persona. Like, if you're going to play Persona, find a friend who wants to play it, too. Yeah. So that's really fun. But let's finish up our whole Persona 4 podcast spectacular extravaganza by talking about maybe the most important thing about this game. Skill inheritance. We already talked about that. <laughs> no. And I'm kind of joking, but it is very crucial to how I enjoy this game, which is the music. Yeah. Shoji Meguro, the composer, is a fucking genius. Yeah. And Persona, this is not the kind of game where, like, the composer is someone they bring in at the end to put the music on. Oh, yeah, Shoji no. Meguro is a key part of the creative yeah, he process. he is highly involved in every yeah. single, like, part of making these games. Yeah, it's sort of like the, the equivalent you would know maybe from American gaming is Marty O'Donnell and the Halo games. Yeah. yeah where Marty similar. O'Donnell, yeah. Yeah, he, he's involved in every process of the game, you know, like, he's not just the dude who composes the music, he's a dude who does, like, the sound design, he just gets involved in how... All the music and sound it yeah. like works in the game on not just like just on a completely thematic level, like completely tied into what's going on. Not yeah. as like you know bringing on Hans Zimmer to compose like the menu music for Call of Duty Four. Yeah. Like I like Hans Zimmer, but it's like you know there's a very much, different yeah. yeah there's a very different relationship between Shoji Meguro and Atlas and Hans Zimmer in Infinity Ward. Yeah, and Hans Zimmer has enough assistance. I guarantee you, he didn't work a day on his life. In, yeah. on Call of Duty Four. Anyway, that's another discussion. So uh, the music in Persona Four is interesting because it functions very differently than I think we, we think of game music. Yeah. It, um, you know, it's all these songs, they're all really fucking good, and, but basically, it's, it's a smaller pool of songs than you would imagine a 70-hour game having. Yeah. It really is sort of like there are just situations where songs will play, and you hear them every time in that situation. Yeah. 
And what's so amazing about the quality of the music in this game is you never get tired of them. Yeah, in fact, when, they, when they're gone for certain sections, you miss them. Yeah, for instance, whenever you are at home with Nanako or Dorjima, or if they're both there, it plays the song Signs of Love, which is a really fun song, yeah. and it also sometimes plays when you're just out on the world map, and it's just it's a great little song. And yet, when they're gone, signs of love goes away. Yeah, and, and the song that replaces it. it's called "Alone." Yeah, it's like the sad piano music. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just really depressing. Yeah, it's a very sad song to listen to. But but more importantly, the absence of signs of love is just yeah. it hits you. And then when they come back home and it plays signs of love again, you just kind of want to sit back and bask in it. Like, yeah. I did it. I saved them. We're all okay because yeah. signs of love is there, and I love that song. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, yeah, it is because because of the like sort of the formulaic nature of the game of like you know you're going through these days like doing the same basic things they use the same musical cues over and over and over again. But you're exactly right in that you don't get tired of the songs. Like no. you know, I've fucking played God like 160 hours, I guess, of, of like Persona Four and Persona Four: The Golden, listening to those songs within the context of the game. And I listen to these songs all the time just on my computer on the soundtrack. Like, yeah. I absolutely adore the music in these games. And I think... Can you even pinpoint what it is that makes them so, uh, like, just... They, they work... They're so omniscient. Yeah, it's just, like... I think part of the thing is that, like... For, like, the entirety of the soundtracks, I like how... there It is not, like, this sort of, like, single style. Yeah. And it's got this really impressive breadth of style where it's, like, sort of... One of the things I like to think about, like, the sort of describe the music is, like, because Persona 3 is also uh, composed by Shoji Meguro, and that's also an absolutely amazing soundtrack. And I like to think of Persona 3's soundtrack as having this, like, core of blues at, like, its very center that is what that music is. And for Persona 4, that's, like, jazz for me. It's, like, at the very core of that music, it's jazz. Yes. The most interesting thing is that for both games, there's not a single blues song in Persona 3. There's not a single dra- jazz song in Persona 4. Like, none of them are just that is what that style is. Like, they are, there's a lot of, like, rock songs. There's, like, the most of, like, the sort of, like, you know, Signs of Love or Your, your Affection, the lyrical songs that play are basically J-pop, like, not in a derisive way, but sort of, like, it's sort of, it's pop music, basically. Yeah. But it's, like, there's something deep in the core of that that is just, like, it is jazz. And, like, that is the core of what this game is, is a sort of jazz. And the core of what Persona 3 is, is it is blues, like, in a musical sense. Yeah. And there's something, like, I can't, I have no way of describing it. It's a really weird sensation, but it's, it's something that's really interesting. It's something that I've never seen in any other soundtrack where you have this completely diverse style of music that somehow at its heart is this style that none of the songs are. Yeah. It's, I, there's no way to explain it, but... It's very tough. So let's, I mean, let's take another direction. What is your favorite song that plays during the game that you just get happy whenever you hear? That I get happy whenever I hear? I guess, uh, I get probably your affection. Like, the okay. ignore, ignoring Nevermore. Like, Nevermore is my favorite song on the soundtrack. That but you only hear it once, so... Yeah. So it's like, but like, the songs that... that and I also really like Specialist. The, the yeah. plays whenever you're, like, talking to your teachers... Like, that's one of the instrumental songs. I really love Specialist. I, I really love that, too. Specialist is probably my favorite instrumental, although I really love all the sad ones that play during Social Links. But yeah, my just favorite song to hear is Your Affection. And these game, I think one of the things that makes these songs so good for this game is that they have... The, the beat of all of them is very present, and you're very yeah. aware of it, and just sort of the rhythms. It's, they're very rhythm, beat-based songs yeah. to the degree where you're just... It kind of helps you... This is a game that 
has a rhythm to it too so yeah. when you're playing it it's there but what I would always wind up doing when you are affectionate with come on and sometimes the signs of love is I would basically be drumming on my Vita to the song like just with my thumbs yeah I for me I find it and I actually had to sort of like dial this down because like you know you're here all the time now and it's like playing on our Vitas and it's like I constantly sing along with the songs like if you were not here I would be like it was it was constant like I, I don't do it like consciously now so that you don't go fucking insane because you hear me singing your affection all the time but it was fucking constant and it's weird too because you know most of the uh, songs have other than the ending song nevermore the, the all the lyrics are english and other than for heaven they're like english english you know yeah. it's like it is japanese understanding of english it's like it is most of the lyrics are complete fucking nonsense make no sense and it's like and somehow I'm able to sing along with it, and I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know what the singer is saying. We're probably saying completely different things, and neither of them makes sense. Like, I don't know what it is. It's just something about the songs. It's like, it doesn't matter what the lyrics are. Like, yeah. what matters is sort of, like, phonetically how the words sound, the, like, fits with the music. Like, they're very smart that way. But it's like, they're just, like, really good songs to sing along or hum to while you're playing the game in, yeah. like, a really obsessive way. So I wanted to ask also, like, what is your favorite dungeon song? And I think the obvious choice here is Heaven, obviously. Yeah, I don't, I don't even really count that. I don't it's count the only that one that's yeah. lyrical. It's like, right. it's the most substantial dungeon song. Yeah. Oh, man, there's, God, there's, there's a lot of really good ones. I really like the ones, the, the one that plays in the Adachi one and the, uh, in the Yomoto Shikume, the, uh, Izanami dungeon, with, like, that, like, really slow piano music that sort of, like, slowly builds up and yeah. it sort of, like, has... Like, one thing that I like about these games is that there's a lot of uh, musical symbol. Like, there's, like, a handful of songs have these, like, core melody that keeps on coming up again. Yeah. Sort of, like, like the brink of memories is sort of the core of that. That's, like, it ties into Nevermore, the ending song, where that's just, like, where there's a lot of songs, like, I'll Face Myself, sort of that, like, theme brings up, this, like, this core melody that comes up across, like, a lot of these different tracks of music. And I like in Yomatsushikome that has, like, this very sort of, like, sad piano version of that melody that sort of, like, grows up and then sort of fades out a lot. Yeah. I really like that song. Well, okay, my three favorites. <laughs> I don't know if I can pick three favorites, but I love the game one from the Dungeon. Oh, that's a really good one, too. I wasn't thinking about that one. Yeah, it's... it goes like this. What's really great is that... I probably shouldn't talk over this. Yeah. yeah, so that's kind of what is so great about that one, is that it does, it, it just gets bigger and bigger, it yeah. starts just this little 8-bit, and we didn't even get into the guitar part of it. Yeah, yeah it eventually gets like this like rocking guitar riff that starts yeah. playing. Yeah, the game one's really good. Then I really love the one in Nato's Dungeon, Secret Bass. I like that one too. Yeah. And I will say, I think Secret Base is probably my favorite if I look at it from all standpoints, because one of the issues with, let's say, like, Heaven or the Game One is that they're great songs, but they don't, the best parts come relatively yeah. late in them, so it gets yeah, really so frustrating. Yeah, so you want to be sitting there for, like, 30 seconds and not yeah. initiate the next fight, because it's like, I want to get to the chorus part of Heaven, yeah. because I love that song so much. But the Secret Base song, for me, I love it all the way throughout, and so... I, I don't mind going into the battles because when I come back out, it starts in a really cool place. And the other one that does that is the Marie Dungeon. Oh, that one's really good. That one's fa fantastic.
and that one sort of very much feels like a finale in some ways. Like yeah. you've really reached the apex of Marie's story arc, and you also feel like there's some real danger here. Like that song really has this very powerful emotional punch to it. Yeah, and one of the things I find really interesting about that, and there's also the song "A Maiden of the Empty" or "A Maiden of the Hollow Forest" is how it should be. Yeah. But uh, like those two songs are very closely tied to Marie. There's something weird because those are songs that obviously they added for Persona 4 The Golden. It's like, but when I listen to them, I feel like they are such Persona 4 songs that I can't... Like, I feel like they were in the original game I played, like, ignoring playing The Golden. Like, there's, even though they don't have, like, any specific musical ties to any of the songs from normal Persona 4 soundtrack, like, that this fucking music, like, it is so Persona 4. It's, yeah. it's, it's really weird how, like, specifically I, I feel about those two songs. So, uh, yeah, and I think uh, we can also talk about the battle music here. Yeah. And there's sort of, in the original Persona 4, the main battle song was Reach Out to the Truth. Yeah. Which is really good. I love that song. Love battling to it. But in Persona 4 The Golden, they added an, an extra one, which is a really nice choice where you can actually have these two different battle songs yeah. depending yeah. on the encounter. And that's, so the new main one is Time to Make History. And both of them make fucking great use of guitar. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I like... Okay, and this is, like, another, like, my, like, specific experience of Persona 4 The Golden. Like, I really love the idea of, like, Time to Make History as a song. Like, it plays when you have a normal fight or enemy advantage. And it's sort of, it's, it's like, it's, you know, it's a upbeat song. But it's not like this really, you know, like, rockin', like, like has this, like, really driving pace. Let's, let's, let's like, play it. Okay. A couple yeah. seconds. If you can get it to play. Yeah. So basically, you know, it just it's it kind of gets you pumped, but it's yeah, but it's yeah. got this like it has a like a relatively relaxed pace, like it's got like like that nice like rhythm and beat to it. It's like it's not really stressful, and I like that idea for that for the normal fights. And then whenever you do a mid boss fight or you get player advantage, then it plays "Reach Out to the Truth," the song from Persona Four, which yeah, play an example of. There's arguably a lot more going on there. You can yeah, say. yeah, and it's and but it's also got like you know that I fucking love that guitar riff that they play like right after the uh, the chorus part that starts yeah. at the beginning, and it's, you can hear with that song, it is much more like sort of fast paced, like hard hitting. Like I, I like the two tones of those songs. Like, like reach out to the truth. I fucking love that song. Like, yeah, that is probably the millionth time I have heard that song now yeah. live on the podcast. But uh, <laughs> but there's something about like it. it it's a bit too hardcore and, like, sort of fast-paced for, like, every single fight, I feel. So I really like the idea of having time to make history to sort of, like, balance that out. So it's like when Reach Out to the Truth does come on, it's sort of you get the full impact of it being much more hard-hitting and much more heavy-paced and much more heavy on the guitar. However, as I said before, I developed a tactic very quickly that almost ensured basically 95% of every single one of my battles I got a player advantage because... I would just run past a shadow. It would take them a split second to react to me. I would flick the stick backwards and hit them in the back. So very quickly, I came to realize I almost never hear time to make history over the course of my playing for Persona Four: The Golden because I got player advantage so quickly with that little trick. I was like, it was like I was playing normal Persona Four because like every single fight was reach out to the truth, which was 
like it made me motivated sometimes just not to do that just so I could hear Time to Make History because I really like that song too. Yeah. Like that's how good the music is. It's like I want to hear all the songs all the time. So is there anything else to say about the music in the game at this moment? It's all yeah, so good. Yeah, it's just so fantastic and it just it is such a key piece of the experience. It's so sort of just and it's so different from normal video game soundtracks. You know, the heavy prevalence of having actual lyrical songs in there is fantastic. Well, I, I wish more games would put lyrical music in them. Well, like this is what I want to say. I think the moment I fell in love with Persona, and I even told you this, because I didn't know they had this kind of thing, was when you get to your your first kind of free day in the game that you can just play, yeah. and that's when you first hear Heartbeat Heartbreak, yeah. and it plays, and I'm like, this is fucking awesome. It's like I'm playing an anime. And that's what really just got me into it, was that I'm listening to this awesome lyrical song, and I think that's when I realized, this is a game I'm going to fucking love. Yeah. It was definitely music that kind of drew me in. And I think what's so unique to Persona 4 versus most games out there is that I think you form a legitimate, emotional, strong connection to every single song you hear in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I can go through the soundtrack is pretty long. It's not, you know, unwieldy. Yeah, it's, it's like it's a two discs. Yeah. But anyway, I look through every single one of these. I have an emotional connection to every single fucking one of these songs. Yeah. I love them all. And and but more than just like I like these songs and want to listen to them, it's that I legitimately like I have experiences tied to these songs and when I hear them I think of playing the game and they're very happy memories because I really love this game. Yeah. And I think that's kind of crazy. Yeah, no, like there's not there is not a bad song in the soundtrack. That's, no. they're they're all fantastic. And then also, the Persona games have the most phenomenal fucking boss fight music. Oh yeah, of like any game. Like the, it's like down it's like down the board. Like every single like because they change it. There's like four to five different boss fight songs in Persona Four. They're all fucking awesome. They're so great. The the my personal favorite one is the one that plays over the first form of Izanami called the Fog that just has the most killer fucking guitar solo I've ever fucking heard. It is so great. And I also have, like, this really great experience with that song because they also, in Japan, they, they have this, like, touring, like, every couple of years or so, they put on another, like, live concert of Persona music. And it's, the, you know, they have Shioko Hirata, who's the singer that does all the Persona 4 stuff, like Yumi Karamura and uh, Lotus Juice, who are the Persona 3 people who do all the songs for that, for those games. And, like, they are all on stage and I like was just like when I found out about that I was like that's really cool I like I, I want to kind of check that out so I went on YouTube and looked at a few videos of it and I looked at a video of them playing the fog and there's like a part when the really kick-ass guitar part comes on that's like they focus on the dude playing the the guitar part was like this middle-aged like if you picture a middle-aged like Japanese businessman in your head just wearing a white button-up shirt like that dude was on that stage playing the guitar I was like who is that guy? And then I very quickly realized that the dude playing the shredding fucking guitar was Shoji Meguro, the dude who composed all the music, and that just like made me love, fall in love with it even more, because it's like, not only did the dude write the music, the dude can fucking shred. Like, that's, yeah. it was it was awesome. He just put so much personality into the game. Yeah, the yeah. Music. It's... And it's, and it's really cool, too, because now you're going through the experience of playing Persona 3. It's really cool to, like, play the other games because it's not like... You know, every single soundtrack has their own really distinct vibe to yeah. it, too. It's not like they... You know, the Persona 3 soundtrack does not sound like the Persona 4 soundtrack at all. But, but they're both fantastic. And even for Golden, he came back and composed all this great new music. We touched upon it, but there's even a new sort of um, day-to-day song you hear, the Snowflakes one, that's really yeah, great. Yeah, that plays during January. That's yeah. fantastic. 
And I think I want to transition in here because Snowflake. If you get the Persona Four Golden soundtrack, which I recommend because it's really cool, you get uh, like a remix of the Snowflake song on there too. That's even better because they kind of flesh it out into a full song. Yeah, and that's something they do with the recent Persona games is that they'll uh, for for the whole soundtracks they'll release these reincarnation albums. Yeah, but there's one for Persona Three and for Persona Four, and it's where basically they take the best songs from those games and make them into real full like studio recorded songs. Yeah, yeah. So, I, like, one good example here is, like, let's listen to a little bit of Signs of Love from the original game. It goes like this. You hear it all the fucking time. So that's how it goes, but then, you know, when they remix, they did, yeah. they're called remixes, they're not remixes, yeah. they're full-on re-recordings with the original artists. Yeah, but like, we've reworked in like yeah. very specific ways, obviously, when you hear the song. Yeah. So here's Signs of Love. So you can hear it's the same song, yeah. but they've kind of they've upped the jazz influences a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's like definitely on the reincarnation album. You can you can hear that core of the jazz part come out a lot more. Yeah. So if you if I would definitely say if you're a Persona Four fan, you love the music and you get one soundtrack, get the Nevermore reincarnation album. Yeah, it's yeah. really fucking good. Yeah, it is. Is like that and the Persona Three version of it are those like two of my favorite albums to listen to right now. Just, yeah, they're just really fun albums. Yeah, and they even put the never the reincarnation version of the Nevermore song into the end credits of Persona 4 Golden, yeah. where they add a lot of clapping. Yeah. It is, yeah, the Nevermore one is kind of interesting because the normal version of that song already sounds like a fully studio-produced song. Yeah. You know, it like, already has that feel to it, whereas the yeah. other ones... You know, they they feel like they're good songs, but it's like you know you can do more with like the instrumentation. Yeah, and so it's like, but when they put the Nevermore because that's like the best song of the whole game, and it's like what the soundtrack is named after. When they put that on the Reincarnation album, it's like there's nothing really to do with it. So they added some clapping, and then there are also like there's kind of like some people in a chorus kind of in the background. I yeah, find that really funny that it's just like. They kind of have to put that song on there, but they're like, there's just nothing to do with it. And Shoji, I just seen picture Shoji Maker is like clapping, damn it. Clapping. I've got it. It's the one thing our PS2 technology couldn't handle. Yeah. So anyway, that kind of covers the music. We really love it. And we really love this whole game, obviously, because yeah. we are, we've recorded for about five hours now. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what I was anticipating for this podcast. That's... And we didn't really even scratch the surface. Yeah. yeah okay, we, we definitely just... scratched the surface. Yeah. We there, made a good there, there, There's a little scratch, like, nail mark on the surface of the yeah. Titanic that is Persona 4. There's so much to talk about with this game. But really, it's just the best way to experience it is just to play it. And yeah. I just, I love this game. So happy you played it so you could recommend it. And I'm excited to play Persona 3 and eventually 5 when it comes out. And yeah. played Persona 4 again. And yeah. Yeah, I'm going through playing Persona 1, moving on to the 2s. Yeah. And hopefully we can talk about some of these games in the future when I'm done with 3. I, I would really like to talk about Persona 3 on the yeah. podcast when you finish it because I okay. think that is also a game. Like, maybe not necessarily a five-hour one, but that's, that plot of that game is worth discussion. Yeah. As I understand it, the story is, would be a bigger part of that discussion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, we can hopefully do that, and maybe at that time, if you've played some more Persona 1 or 2, do some recaps on those. So, should be fun. So, I guess that wraps up, for now, our Persona 4 discussion. Yeah. 
For now. For, yeah, now. for now. Expect with like, you know, Persona 4 to come up in some form like, through yes. references and whatnot in the future of the podcast. We yeah. can't help ourselves. Yeah, so it's going to be... Persona is like our new Doctor Who. Like, it will sit alongside our Doctor Who as like something that will somehow come up occasionally on the podcast, even when it's not, maybe not entirely relevant. Yeah. So speaking of Doctor Who, that will be coming back in late March. So in about a month here, we will have a more standard topic to talk about, which it yeah. will be Doctor Who episodes. We'll keep doing, you know, our weekly recaps of those. Yeah, um, but obviously alongside, like, other normal topics. topics as well. Yeah. So, but for the rest of the month of March, I think we've got some good topics in mind. Like I said, next week will be kind of an exciting episode, because I've got something cool to announce, and I've already actually recorded some portions for that. So, anyway, we will talk to you next week. Um, hope you enjoyed this Persona podcast. Hope there's someone still listening. Yeah, you know. I hope you're just playing Persona 4 right now. Yeah. Whoever's listening to this.